stacked with cash. The 51-year-old managed to hit one of the robbers over the head with a torch. The Northern Ireland First Minister Peter Robinson has given the Westminster government until tomorrow to respond to a row which is threatening to bring down the power-sharing executive in Belfast. He's demanding that letters telling more than 180 Republican paramilitary suspects they wouldn't be prosecuted should be withdrawn, saying he'll stand down if they aren't. The letters were sent out under both Labour and the Coalition to try to shore up the peace process. A homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. David Ketley, who lives in Oatridge Gardens, has been living in a hotel since the hole appeared on the 15th of February. More from Tara Gungafall. Mr Ketley says he's frustrated that it's taking so long to get the problem sorted and fears he may be unable to sell his property now, which he had put on the market. The hole, which was 35 feet wide and 25 feet deep, was filled with concrete six days ago, but Mr Ketley says there's a delay in getting properties reconnected with the mains gas supply and he's now been told he won't be back in his home until March the 11th at the earliest. Major redevelopment of the National Bowl in Milton Keynes has moved a step closer, with 26 million pound plans for the UK's largest indoor water park and a sports village. Milton Keynes Development Partnership has granted Moray Capital preferred bidder status for the project, which would create 650 new jobs. Investment is also planned for the Bowl Arena, meaning more events and concerts. Bedford Hospital has scored highly in a survey which indicates whether it's a good place to work. The survey was taken at a time when the hospital was coming under criticism from parents in the town for changes to its paediatrics services. In sport, Chelsea drew one all the way to the Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie last night after taking an early lead through Fernando Torres. The weather, rain clearing eastwards this morning to leave a mixture of sunshine and showers, a maximum temperature 10 degrees Celsius and you can get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Disaster strikes here. Disaster strikes. None of the printers are working. None of the printers are working. And the kitchen's in a right mess. It could only mean one thing. Technicians have been to the studio to try and improve it. That's what it means. Never mind, we'll soldier through. Lots to talk about this morning, including... Judge dismisses mercy-killing defence. Sinkhole neighbours are stuck in hotels for another fortnight. And get this, praise for Bedford Hospital? No, surely not. Oh, yes. Facebook.com, etc. 8-1, etc. And no, 8-4-5-la-la-la-la-la-la. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Seriously, I came in with not a terrible headache. Let's not let's not get carried away. Let's not exaggerate. Let's let's stick to the facts. Yeah, but your eyes are misty. I had misty eyes. I had misty eyes and just what would you call what would you call that bit that I'm touching with my thumbs there? Your eye bones. My eye bones. Uh, my eye bones. It's your socket, isn't it? Yeah, it, 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 it's the upper echelons of my socket. The the eye roof. The attic of my eyes. Um, with your ve- porch, your eye porch. That's it, we got it. The eye porch was very, very heavy. Um, it was painful. I took several times more than the recommended dose what? of of Neurofen migraine relief. 
Boy, I'm feeling it. My spine's gone all loose. My head... I can hear the colours and I can see the music as it plays forth from the speakers here in Studio 1B of BBC Three Counties Radio, 1 Hastings Street, Luton. Buckle up, kids. It's going to be a bumpy ride. (laughs) Buckle up, kids! Just show you how psychedelic I'm feeling. It don't get more druggy than Neil Sedaka. That's when the music takes me, takes me to a brighter day. That's when the music takes me, helping me to find my way. When the day is so long that I can't hold on. When I'm down and I think my hope. It doesn't rock as much as I remembered it rocking. It doesn't matter. He's having fun. Right, big story this morning. A judge has dismissed a Milton Keynes woman's claim that she murdered her husband in an act of mercy. 83-year-old leukaemia sufferer John Sanford was found dead at his home in Bancroft Park last July. His 75-year-old wife, Sheila, told the police she'd killed him to end his suffering. Well, the truth, according to the judge who sentenced her to life yesterday, was that she'd snapped under pressure. Our Milton Keynes reporter, Craig Lewis, has been following the case. Craig, what's the background to this case? Morning, in Well, last June, John Sanford was diagnosed with leukaemia. At first, he was given between 6 and 12 months to live, but this was later adjusted to between 3 and 6 months. He said 
He's said to have taken this terrible news in a remarkably calm way and was heard to say he's had a good innings. But we shouldn't assume this meant he'd given up on life as he did agree to undergo chemotherapy treatment, which is not an easy process for someone much younger than his 83 years. Fast forward a month... And on the morning of July the 5th, Mrs Samford called police from the couple's home in Spoonley Wood, Bancroft Park, Milton Keynes, to say she'd murdered her husband. Mrs Samford later pleaded guilty to murdering her husband, but only on the basis that it was an act of mercy. Well, and this is how we, we'd kind of uh, told the story before. It was, it was a mercy killing. But, but what happened yesterday? Well, Judge Richard Foster, who took charge of what's known as a Newton hearing, that's a case to effectively decide whether Sheila Samford's actions had indeed been motivated by mercy. Hospital consultants told Luton Crown Court how calmly John Sanford had dealt with his diagnosis and that he gave them no reason to believe he'd been suicidal. That feeling was backed up by the Sanford's daughter, Caroline Vant, Mm. who again said her father had taken the news in his stride and had shown no adverse side effects from the chemo. However, under cross-examination, Sheila Sanford insisted he had discussed the idea of suicide with her on a number of occasions, which is why, after a sleepless night, the pair agreed it was time to act. The court heard how she strangled him using a bandage which was repeatedly wrapped around his neck. But Judge Foster rejected this claim, uh, saying that it wasn't a mercy killing. Oh, on what basis? Uh, but, well, on the basis that he didn't believe her story, quite simply. He, he told her that rather than being a pre-agreed and plea-planned mercy killing, he believed she'd snapped under the pressure of the situation. Mrs Sanford had been ill for some years herself and had undergone two major operations on her foot. During this time, her husband had acted as a carer, but after his diagnosis, he'd no longer been able to fulfil that role. And the judge referred back to the testimonies of the doctors and the Sanford's daughter and said there was no evidence to suggest that Mr Sanford had wanted to end his life. Mm. Indeed, what he'd heard from those witnesses suggested quite the opposite. He also pointed to the fact that Mrs Sanford had spoken to neighbours about holiday plans and hadn't taken any steps for the future care of the much-loved family dog Skye should her husband die and should she be imprisoned as a result. This, the judge said, suggested the act was not pre-planned and in sentencing Mrs Sanford to life in prison, a mandatory sentence for her crime, he said she must serve at least nine years in custody before she could apply for parole. The judge took her age and the stress she was under into account but in summary, he said this mitigation didn't deter from the evil of what you have done. You took away a man's life prematurely. What you did in particular is deprive your daughter and his daughter of the opportunity to say goodbye to him and for him to say goodbye to her. So what have the police said about this case? Well, after the sentencing, Detective Chief Inspector Mark Glover said they'd always insisted this was a murder inquiry, but as the inquiry progressed, it became obvious there were other factors other than Mr Samford's health. He said although he had sympathy with Sheila Sanford, you had to think of the impact of her actions. The extended family did not have the opportunity to say goodbye, and neither, importantly, did John himself. Thank you very much for that, Craig. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. If you uh, want to give us a call, we will be talking about the implications that this kind of thing has. Mercy killings... Does this change your opinion of them slightly? Did it change your... This was her argument, it was a mercy killing. The judge ruled that it wasn't. We often talk about mercy killings on here and um, whether they are appropriate or not. Does this change your opinion if if this argument, this defence was being used in court and uh, was dismissed outright by the judge? It just goes to show that if you were to do something like this you're laying yourself wide open to all kinds of risk there, aren't you? Mm. And how do you prove that that's what the other person wanted? And as, and as the person who was ill, how do you prove that 
the person who kills you is acting in your interest. It's really difficult. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Six, he stood on the ground He weighed 235 pounds But I saw that giant of a man Brought down to his knees by love He was the kind of a man That would gamble on luck Look you in the eye and never back up But I saw him crying like a little whipped pup Because of love You can't see it with your eyes Hold it in your hand but like the wind that covers our land Strong enough to rule the heart of any man This thing called love It can lift you up, never let you down Take your world and turn it all around Ever since time nothing's ever been found That's stronger than love They struggle in doubt They trouble their minds day in and day out Too busy with living to worry about A little word like love But when I see a mother's tenderness As she holds her young close to her breast Then I thank God that the world's been blessed With a thing called love You can't see it with your eyes Hold it in your hand but like the wind that covers our land Strong enough to rule the heart of any man This thing called love It can lift you up, never let you down Take your world and turn it all around Ever since time nothing's ever been found That's stronger than love Ever since time nothing's ever been found That's stronger than love Great pocket money debate has reared its ugly head here at BBC Three Counties Radio. We, we've got to go to the travel. We'll discuss this in a second. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. It's very wet out there, looking pretty miserable, so there's probably going to be quite a bit of surface water on the roads as you head out. On the speed sensors, the A5 is building up around Dunstable in both directions. And at the Black Cat roundabout, the A1 northbound, so that's traffic heading towards Eton Soken. There are delays just at the roundabout at the moment. We haven't got reports of any problems, though. On public transport, the Metropolitan Line has severe delays between Uxbridge and Harrow on the Hill for late finishing to engineering. I'm Alice Gloss at BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah. 616. It's Thursday, the 27th of February. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. The judge at Luton Crown Court dismissed Sheila Sanford's claims. 
A homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. And in sport, Chelsea drew one all away to Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 time last night. I've got no idea, no. The weather, rain clearing this morning. The day will then be bright, chilly with a few showers. Maximum temperature, 10 degrees. BBC Three Counties Radio. World War One at home on the BBC. The number of men who died probably reckoned to be about 135. Revealing untold stories. If we can show at Wadston, if we can be seen to be trying to do something for the war effort, then everybody else should be able to do that. Discovering local memories. I tracked a dead man down a trench. I knew not he was dead. World War One at home. Walking between lessons, today's students at Haleybury College pass by a memorial to the former pupils who fought and died in the First World War. Revealing local stories. And he discovers that it's just gone uh, 11 o'clock on the 11th of November and in fact the First World War is over. World War One at home. Every morning this week from 8.15 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Right now I'm doing the Mobot. Right. And then before that I was doing... Is that Usain Bolt? Kinda. Bolt? Mobot. What other words can you do with, with one arm movement? Oh, how rude! So, we were saying last night my little boy, the eldest, was being a right little so-and-so. The last three nights... Back oh, to school, isn't it? That's what happens. Exactly. He's been very, very naughty, very disrespectful. Although it's hard to um, uh, take a child having a strop seriously when they're doing the most scrunched up face in the world and they're completely naked. <laughs> it, it really does... It takes away from the gravitas, it doesn't it? It takes away from... Well, I, saw, I certainly saw his little gravitas, but <laughs> he damaged a very expensive... He's doing that. He did, damaged a very expensive bin. Like, a very expensive bin. And even my, my wife went um, a, a little bit angry with him. And I said, right, what we're going to have to do, young man, is we're going to, I was very calm. We're going to have to work out a way that you can contribute towards the purchase of a new bin. What does contribute mean? Yeah. I said, so we're, what we're going to do is you're going to be doing some chores around the house and you won't be getting any pocket money for them. Oh, no! No, recounting the story to a fellow parent, although she's of the lady variety, Catherine Boyle. And yes. Went, what? They get pocket money? They're children. They're tiny children. Yeah, they're children. Children get pocket money. What are they spending it on? Well, uh, probably, probably hooch, hooch and glue, knowing kids these days. No, uh, well, he's four and two, so the four-year-old gets... I mean, I don't, it's not, you know, it's like a pound a week or something. OK. But it's, it's through doing chores. He doesn't just get it. He has to what do... What kind of chores are we talking here? Uh, a bit of light, dusting... It does a bit of dusting. of sheds. No, things like feeding the rabbit and um, tidying up after the, his meal. What uh, stuff are you just supposed to do without yeah. a bribe? No, it's not. It's not a bribe. So your girls are five and two. Yeah, they get nothing. No, tight, they get pl- tight. They, they get plenty. They get sweets or chocolate on a Friday oh, only. Oh, only. oh, so okay. No, sorry. So you give them sweets and chocolates despite Britain's obesity crisis. No, no. Fine, carry on. Only carry on. on a Friday. Yeah, okay. Yeah, one thing on a Friday. I thought you were going to say that was cruel. Yeah, no, go on, go on. So they get that. Yeah. On a Friday, yeah. and only on a Friday, oh, yeah. which helps me because you know they get given sweets at school. Can I eat these? No, it's not Friday. Yeah. End of story. Okay. I don't get any pestering at the supermarket checkout. But you don't think at five? Well, the two-year-old is crazy. But at five, she should be learning um, about 
earning. She should be learning the worth of the, and value of money. Right, yeah. So why don't you entrust her with some money? She does. Uh, I don't entrust her. I don't trust her. You give I her the do card. Entrust her. <laughs> <laughs> um, she gets money put into a bank account that she isn't allowed to touch, really. Unless she expresses she a desire for something in particular, she, and then I'll say, well, you have a certain amount, and once it's gone, it's gone. She can't finger that. She can't fumble it. She can't touch it. She needs to have you know money that she can she hold. Can, do you know what happens to the, um, the little piggy bank she's got in her bedroom? Yeah. It ends up sprinkled around her bed. Well, that's because it doesn't with my boys. Really? They end up um, counting. Do they finger and fumble with the money? Yeah, or, or the pig. But yes, they do. They certainly they, have, they are growing to respect money, although when he broke that expensive bin. Why would you have an expensive bin, asked my wife. Mm. What age I can't did- believe that you can hit a kid in the pocket at the age of four, which is what you've done. Well, I've, I've done it. OK, over to you, dear listener. What age do you think young children should get pocket money, please? 08459 four double five five double five. I think for... I mean, it's not, it's not... It's like a pound a week oh, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. What? Just they've never expressed an interest in it. Well, I tell you what, okay. So while they're not expressing interest, yeah, they ain't getting yeah. it. Well, in 20 years' time, when your daughter is an unmarried mother with five children and she's putting her hand out to the state... I'll my be coming boy... to your son for alimony. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, what age did you get pocket money? Uh, probably about, what, two, three? <laughs> Go and buy some vinyl, boy. <laughs> did your mum give you... Did she actually give you cash or did she cut out the middleman and just give you smokes? No. <laughs> No, what happened was, every single weekend, I went to the Old Town Record Shop, yeah. and my dad bought me two singles. That, effectively, was my pocket money. I was in Birmingham uh, uh, last week. Mm. I found, hidden away, hidden away, miles from the high street, behind a, uh, the, the exit to an NCP car park, I found a proper old-fashioned record shop. I know the one you're talking about. I saw that about a year ago when I was there, and I thought... It's I just down a little dark alley, and, and no-one sees it. Yeah, I know the one you mean. It's fantastic. I went in there, and I was looking... For, I was, went in there with a friend, and it was one of those great shops. I was having a conversation with a friend about something, and the guy behind the counter chipped in about something. And then the whole, the, the, all of us were, were chatting about Beatles records and stuff. It was wonderful. It's worth going in there just to go in and go. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The smell of real vinyl. The smell of real vinyl and sweaty men. Yeah. <laughs> and I love both those things. Beautiful. beautiful. Anyway, the reason we got you on, Just, mm. the sinkholes again. You are our sinkhole correspondent. A group yes. of neighbours who were forced to evacuate their homes after a sinkhole appeared in Hemel. Turns out they're going to have to stay out for, well, for at least another fortnight. They hoped to be able to move back into Oak Ridge Gardens this week. After all, the 25-foot deep crater. That was filled at the weekend, I think, wasn't it, Just? Or it was, Friday, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. You've been... Looking into it. Yeah? yeah? <laughs> I have indeed. What's yeah. the latest? What's going on? Well, as you mentioned, the sinkhole was filled in last weekend, but um, the area is, is still fenced off with a security presence. It's effectively in just a, a building site. Now, this, of course, happened on the 15th of February. When we were there last Friday, we were told that the gas should have been restored by early this week and people then could be returning to their homes. However, we've been tipped off that's not the case. We've now been told that's now going to be the 11th of March. So I went back to Oak Ridge gardens yesterday in Hemel. I spoke to Ashley Spires and I asked her is it true about this new date of the 11th of March? Uh, apparently. It's not a definite. It's sort of going back and back. Apparently it was supposed to be yesterday and then it's back to the 11th so I don't know. You can't live your life like that can you? No. So what's been happening since this sinkhole develops? I mean how has your life been? Uh, pretty uprooted. Um, uh, I recently moved here so the first week I went back to, I'm from Wimbledon so I went back there to stay with family um, and then Saturday I was put into a hotel. And how many children have you got? Three. Three children yeah. in one hotel room. Yeah. It sounds like a nightmare. It is, especially when they're five, four and one and uh, they're manic. 
What about the information you're receiving from the relevant organisations? Tell us how that's been. Not great. We had a meeting on Monday, but didn't really get much information. It was just mostly angry people trying to find stuff out that we didn't really get. Now, some people here, the, the odd person, has gone back without any gas. Yeah. Can you actually go back to your home if you wanted to without gas? I don't know. I've just been told that we can't go back yet because we don't have electric or gas. So you're back here today, what, getting post or...? Yes, yeah, it's, it's my son's birthday on Friday, so I'm collecting oh. cards from relatives. I'll keep him happy then, won't it? <laughs> yes. I mean, looking around here, it's all fenced off. There's workmen. It's a building site. You can't go and live in your home. You're in a, a room in a hotel with your three children. Just try and sum up how obsessing this whole experience has been for you and your family. Oh, so it's, it's traumatic. It really is. It's, it's dreadful. Um, I'm just, like, it's just so stressful. You can't, can't do anything. Just even going down to eat in the restaurant is stressful because we've got three children. So I'm just sort of stuck in the room eating takeaways. Well, it doesn't sound fun. Uh, just that was Ashley. But some of the residents have returned to their homes, but they haven't got any gas. Absolutely. Over 50 properties there, including uh, the flats. It's my understanding only four people have returned to their homes without gas. One of those is Donna Halsey. I caught up with her yesterday, and here's what happened. Well, Donna, as one of the only people living here on this estate, um, when are you likely to get your gas back? We were told last week on Friday it was going to be early this week. So have you got it back yet? No, still nothing. Nothing at all. It's still cold. (laughs) What are you being told? Um, That it could be at least next week. So it's just a case of having to wait. They don't know whether they're going to have to put in a whole new load of pipework. So it's just they won't know that until they get down there and have a mooch. So for the time being, you and your children having to cope with these small electric heaters? Yes, absolutely, yeah. it's it, Luckily, I mean, the weather's not too bad out here, so it's not that bad, but when it is cold, it is cold. Some of our listeners might be thinking, well, if you're insured to be in a hotel, why are you still here? Joe, I'm, I'm staying here purely because of my son. He's, he's got all sorts of little difficulties, bless him, so I just need to keep it as grounded and as normal mm. as possible for him. But there's other people that have got gas cookers that can't necessarily be here, mm. so it's... It's just a case of making the best of what you can. So if you moved into a hotel, the upheaval would really upset your son and his yes. routine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no way I could do it for him. No way. Justin, listen, thank you very much for that. What are you up to this morning? Uh, well, I'm talking uh, more about sinkholes yep. and uh, whatever you want, really. Pocket money. Yes. Could you do that for us? Because mm. Catherine and I, genuinely, every time we're playing a record or something, we're now kind of baring our teeth at each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what age do people get pocket money? What age do they think kids should start getting it? Yep, no problem And also, what's a good kind of figure to give them as well? Shall I go uh, to Harpenden for this one. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Go, go to Harpenden. Go to cash. Harp it up. Yeah. Justin, <laughs> speak to you later on. Thank you very much. Uh. Uh. I hear something saying. Uh. 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 That's the sound of the
Till the sun is going down Working on the highways and byways And wearing, wearing a frown You hear them moaning their lives away Then you hear somebody say That's the sound of the men Working on the chain Five nine four double five five double five. See if I had my way, the kids would be working on the chain gang, not making those noises, inappropriate, um, and earning their their pocket money. I can't believe you've come into my studio and we're still arguing about it. I just hadn't even thought about it. How? What a wicked, evil stepmother you are. <laughs> stepmother. Oh, I just. Oh no, mother. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M1 London bound starting to look busy on the speed sensors just after Junction 10 for Luton, heading towards Junction 9 for Redbourne. Also starting to build up on the A1M southbound around Junction 7 for Stevenage. On public transport, the Metropolitan Line has severe delays between Uxbridge and Harrow on the Hill because of late finish to engineering works. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 6.30, I'm Simon Oxley. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. The judge at Luton Crown Court dismissed Sheila Samford's claims. Major redevelopment of the National Bowl in Milton Keynes has moved a step closer with £26 million plans for the UK's largest indoor water park and a sports village. Milton Keynes Development Partnership has granted Moray Capital preferred bidder status for the project, which would create 650 new jobs. And a homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Chelsea drew one all away to the Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie last night after taking an early lead through Fernando Torres, his manager Jose Mourinho. In the first half we were the best team. We had... Two, three, four situations where normally you have to, you have to be effective and, and, and score. But in the second half, they put uh, more pressure on us. We were more, uh, more defensively. At the same time, Fernando, who was dangerous, was really tired and asked me to make the change. So we lost a little bit of power. 
In last night's other tie, Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo both scored twice as Real Madrid won 6-1 away to the German side Schalke. Luton manager John Still and leading scorer Andre Gray have won the Conference Manager and Player of the Month awards for February. Still says Gray and his fellow front players have been on top form. You know, to be for our attacking four are a handful. Jake Howells, I think, is playing... You know, if he's ever played better at this club, he must have been some player because I think he's been absolutely terrific at the moment. I really do. Uh, Andre keeps scoring goals. Benno is absolutely top, top drawer. And Gat, so, you know, we're, 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 we're attacking really well. Bedford Rugby Club have signed England under-20 second-row forward Harry Wells on loan from Leicester. It follows a neck injury to Ben Gulliver. England cricketer Jonathan Trott is set to make his comeback for Warwickshire in April. The batsman left the Ashes Tour of Australia in December with a stress-related illness. And the world champion Red Bull Formula One team are to get the freedom of Milton Keynes. The status will be confirmed at a special council meeting next month. BBC Three Counties News and Sport. The next full bulletin is at seven. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to take part in the show, 08459 455 555. Catherine and I will be looking at the papers shortly. What are you chucking at? What have you seen? Oh dear, Charlotte Church. Oh, do that one quickly because that's sad. She invited 70,000 people to a gig what is it? it was to film to her video, video. starring her new pop video. How many turned up? Oh, go on. Just the one. Just one person. And that person is, is also... He's he, a professional extra. Yeah. How, or she was going up to people in the street asking them to come and dance in her new video. Oh, dear. Oh, I feel sorry for Charlotte. I like Charlotte Church. I do. What, what was she in the end? Um, what was she? Because she, was, she started off as a child opera singer. She's now an alternative music um, singer, songwriter, isn't she? I've got no idea. Did she do little... Um, festivals and that. Well, I don't know. And where's funny makeup? Well, like anyway, we've got, we've got the new Charlotte Church single. Should we give it a spin? Shall we? Yeah. yeah go on.
Charlotte Church. She just likes dancing. What are you talking about? But I think, I, but boogie. Oh, she can boogie all night long, can she? So, Catherine, the papers. What have you found? Abby Clancy's teeth. Hey, just her teeth today. Uh, well, that's all I can see. She's dancing. I think she's normally in her pants, and I do think it's her job. I know it's her job, and she's a very beautiful woman. Um, at, but I do think we we want our young girls. You want your girls to do better than that don't you, to be a pant model. Yeah. Don't you? My, I've got a niece who's, I guess, five, and I want her to be better than... She's beautiful. I want her to be better than a pant model when I she grows up. I want to think that they are more than the sum of their pants. Yeah, exactly. And yet we still kind of... Uh, 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 it's a weird one, isn't it? Oh, look. Another one. Hey, i tell you another one I spotted. I bought my wife the uh, Beyoncé album. Okay, then you Beyonce. Yeah, I bought that thinking it'd be a bit of fun for the kids. It's a filthy record. I opened it. It was in like a black cover cover. sleeve. And you pull it out there and you get a full view of uh, Beyonce's... A a cover... Beyonce. Is, uh, is exactly, it's her backside. It's her... In chains. It's her knolls in chains with a thin chain going down the knoll crack. Ooh. Uh, and it is, uh, it, I'm an old man, yes, it's pornographic. When I was a kid, you had to hunt high and low in bushes to find p- images like that. And it's on the front page of a record by a woman who claims to be a devout Christian. But she's dressing like, even, she's dressing worse than a prostitute. I'm getting so old, aren't I? I can hear me now. Look at this. This is what annoys me. While we're on this pitch... Daily Express, the timeless appeal of the hourglass figure and then going on about corsets. Hey, girls, there's a reason we came out of corsets. Yeah. It was damaging our innards. Well, no, no, according to a new book, Catherine, it doesn't damage your innards. Well, it doesn't look very healthy, does it? It looks... What's happened to all your guts? 
They get it's good for your sucked guts. Sucked up into your chest cavity. Well, according to the woman I saw the other day, who was obviously wearing a corset under a dress, all of your guts get pushed up to just under your armpits, and they flop over the edge. That's what happens. Take normal. I just do. I do wonder. You know, we talk about sexualization of children and stuff. I, I, Beyonce. You know, she's seen as a strong, strong, independent woman. She's different from Miley Cyrus because she's strong. What are you doing? You're right. That's what Beyonce does all the time now. She can't seem to keep a bum still. Exactly. She's a strong, independent woman. She's different from the Miley Cyruses. She's different from all of those pop tarts. Well, she's not really. She's not. She's showing her basically her bare backside on the front of a record cover. Dirty mare. Mind you, if I had that backside. Wah! Speaking of backsides, have you seen this picture of um, Tom Daly? No, show. I'll show you. I will. Pal makes ass of Tom with splash flash selfie. Diver Tom Daly's best pal takes a cheeky sh- uh, selfie with the splash star naked in the shower behind her. So Tom Daly's behind her having a shower. Mm. So the girl... I can't think of a scenario in which I've been in the shower with my best friend. Well, uh, yeah, he's a gay boy and she's a young lady. That happens quite a lot. I've got gay friends. Again, I've, they've never invited me into their shower. So she's taken a picture of her face and she's raised her finger to be touching... He, it, so it looks like she's touching his bot-bot. Oh. That's the picture. The son of carefully um, <laughs> put five rings over his... Oh. Uh, well, one. Uh, and uh, it, it, it went up on uh, Instagram. Sophie Lee is her name, no relation to me. It was posted on photo-sharing website Instagram, but taken down within minutes. I bet Tom da- Tom Daly... Uh, he has his back to her. Perhaps he didn't know she was there. Yeah, she didn't, he didn't know she was doing it. Last night, the source revealed, i.e. the son made it up... Tom knows Sophie was larking about, but he's concerned about his reputation. He's supported by sponsors like Adidas, and uh, he's also the face of a major ITV family show. Oh, has he got a major ITV family show? Yeah. You should advertise that. Hey. Yeah? When is a scooter not a scooter? Um, When it's a booter? When it looks like a Harley Davidson. WTF? Well, not really. It's still a scooter. A retired caretaker who rides a mobility scooter styled like a Harley is repeatedly pulled over uh, by police for riding on the pavement. Jeff Dixon says officers even mistake his £6,000 electric buggy for a proper motorbike. No, they don't. No, they don't. They don't. It looks like a buggy. You can still see the undercarriage is is very buggy-esque. You can, yes. But... I wonder, what, there is a market for this. The dragons should be looking oh, into it's this. Oh, it's a great... It's, he's pimped it up. Yeah. I do like a good buggy. My mum used to have a, a, a buggy, and it was great fun to ride around. She'd have looked great on that, She would have looked awesome on that. Uh, but you do get... Again, I saw this the other day. Some old boy in one of those little buggies doing four miles an hour on the road. On oh, the road. When I lived in Bedford, there used to be a guy who did that all the time. And sometimes, when it was raining, admittedly, he had, like, a canopy thing over the top. So it, yeah. maybe he thought he looked like a car. Yeah. He didn't look like a car. And he was going really slowly in the middle of the road. I don't... Listen, I'm all for, you know, old people and disabled people, you know, doing stuff. But I do think there should be a little testy poos for you before you're allowed to drive one of those mobility scooters. You should have to have lessons and a test, and the rules should be explained to you. And if you fail that test, I'm sorry, love, it's wheels on meals. On wheels. Yeah. Harsh but fair. Hey, I love the Pope. He seems like a nice guy. Better than the last one. This one certainly seems like he has principles. He has a laugh, this Pope. New Pope. What's his name? Pope Tony. Uh, No, what's his name? Pope Steve? What's his name? Pope Francis. Yes. Uh, Because he looks like the... He looks like the... 
not the not the last pope who was a real disappointment, but the pope I grew up with. Oh yeah, Pope I liked John Paul II. Although he was very right wing. He was. He was. It turns out actually he was quite an unpleasant gentleman, but he looked good. He looked like a pope. This pope, I like the cut of his jib because yeah. he's got rid of all the a lot of the finery involved in in pope. And also now he's got a new edition here in uh, lots of the newspapers. He's got a mini pope. Has he really? Imagine if it was his. Is that it's just not. someone? Is that not just a fan? That's that's a little baby boy. Uh, 19 months old, uh, dressed up as the Pope. Is that okay? He's come as the Pope. <laughs> I would love... Can we do a... I don't know, is this offensive? I'm not uh, Catholic or, or... I'm not anything, really. I, if we all came to work dressed up as the Pope, would that be okay? Because I like the white look. I like the little hat with the, the little, you know, kind of thing sticking out of it. Uh, it looks like an acorn cup. And I like the kind of... I like I like the look... I'm not Catholic, but I'm feeling this is all kinds of wrong. What noise did you just make? Did that come from your mouth? Oh, no, it came from my very uh, guts. In that case. <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M25 anti-clockwise slow going now between Junction 26 for Waltham Abbey and 25 for Enfield. Looking on the speed sensors in Luton Airport Way as you approach the airport, looking very slow from the A505. Uh, also the A1M southbound struggling around Junction 7 for Stevenage. And on public transport, the Metropolitan Line have minor delays between Uxbridge and Harrow on the Hill because there was a late finish to engineering works. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Alice. 6.46, it's Thursday the 27th of February. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. The judge at Luton Crown Court dismissed Sheila Sanford's claims. A homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. And in sport... Chelsea drew one all away to Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie last night. 08459 555. What age did you start getting pocket money and how much is appropriate these days? All of that and more after we get the latest weather. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. 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 There's no weather. Never mind, I'll tell you what it is. It's going to be wet, probably a bit miserable, and it might dry up a bit later on. Trevor's on the M1. Morning, Trevor. Morning. I don't, I don't know what happened to the weather there. We, we had no weather. It's horrendous out here. Exactly. That's all we need to know. It was flipping miserable. <laughs> flipping miserable. What have you got for me, Trevor? That um, scooter you were talking about, I think it's the same one as what my mum's just bought. You, you, what, your mum's bought a Harley the scooter that looks like a Harley? It, it's a sport rider. It's, uh, the front end is actually a motorcycle front end. It's got a front fork. A sport rider? Like, yeah. Sounds like um, the Tiger Woods. What, the, what, how does it work? It's, well, the, the back end looks like, uh, it's like a wheelchair with a battery box. Oh, I can there. see it. Look. But the front end is, a, is the front end of a motorcycle. It's a 30-mile range at about 8 miles an hour. That looks pretty cool. That looks awesome. So it's got, like, handlebars and, and, and yeah. uh, light and it things. It's a bit like a chopper. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it does from the front. It looks like a, it does look like a motorbike, but it is a front end of a bike. Is, now, listen, with the greatest of respect, is your mum going to be safe on that, or is she going to be one of those nightmares that bashes into people? 
she's not using it at the moment. She's gonna she's getting it for when she decides to stop driving. Okay, okay so she's gonna have it in touch for for when when the car has to go. Yeah. Okay. Quite a powerful car at the moment. And which is a speed. <laughs> where, where does she live, Trevor? So we know know to avoid it. <laughs> okay. Don't. No one go to Stevenage. Uh, she likes her powerful cars. I bet she does. And um, she, she's gone for the motorbike look. Are there, are there yeah. any other options available? Like, can you get like one that looks like Postman Pan's vat or so, uh, <laughs> a, a van or something? I can't speak today. I suppose if you got that rain cover on it, it would look like one. It would do it. Trevor, thank you very much. I can't speak today. I'm getting the uh, the Nurofen uh, wobbles right, of the we'll, tongue. we'll get a coffin. Yeah, get a coffin. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. I once saw a woman. I went to one of those uh, historical reconstructions. What? Yeah, you know... What um, do you mean? Rest Park is brilliant. You should go with your boys this year. Historical on Reconstruction. On St George's Day, they have like a uh, sort of pageant type thing yeah, yeah, in the yeah. ground. It's oh, brilliant. Yeah. And But also the uh, Reconstruction blokes kick, um, pitch up with their tents. and Oh, they do like pretend and, to have a fight. Yeah, and pretend to be blacksmiths and, and, and the like. All right, so, so, but so, there's jousting and all that. It's great, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a woman driving round with, in a mobility scooter, but she'd attached a horse's head. A real one? So she looked like a knight. A real horse's head? Uh, no, I think it was plastic. I didn't... Oh, OK. Because that would have been very macabre. Huh?
like just a little bit of Huey Lewis. Beard of Huey Lewis. That bit. That bit. I, like, I interviewed him once. What a lovely, lovely gentleman. He sounds like the sort of person who couldn't be an angry, bitter and twisted sort of person. You know they wanted to use his song... Um, you're Ghost- my drug for Ghostbusters. Really? Yeah, they said, can we use it? No, you can't use it for Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. Uh, so then the producers of Ghostbusters phoned up Ray Parker Jr. and said, Do you know um, the Huey Lewis song, You're My Drug? Yeah. Could you rewrite that, please? And he did. And uh, they're exactly the same song. Exactly the same song. But why no lawsuit? There was a lawsuit, and Huey Lewis got paid a shed load of cash from Mr. Parker Jr. himself. Lot of money. Swag change hands. Anything else in the papers? I mean, yesterday we were spoilt with stories. I mean, there's um, page three of the Sun. No, I don't understand her pants. If I'm completely honest, I cannot make head and the tail of them. But they've put some sort of modesty panel in her pants that makes it look worse. Yeah, but there's a, a time to call in the frying squad. The cops spend four weeks trying to nab a Scotch egg thief. What? What? Police have copped. For a load of Mickey taking... Hang on, is that, is that the first sentence in a news story? Let me read that again. Police have copped for a load of Mickey taking. Yes, it is. After urging the public to help catch a woman who ate a £1.65 pack of Scotch eggs. They are tasty, mind, aren't they? The young suspect picked up the snacks in a co-op. No wonder co-op are £2 billion down. And appeared to scoff them before leaving without paying. <gasps> the crime happened in Minehead, Somerset a month ago. And local police are still trying to crack it. Ah. Uh. The force has now issued a, a spokesperson wrote on Twitter, the theft has been reported to police and investigation has begun. Um, th- th- I don't think the police should be on Twitter because all they do is d- mess around on there. All they do is mess around on Twitter and do inane, ridiculous stuff. I'm not sure any of it should be on Twitter. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Twitter now. I'm, I'm, I'm having that thing again. I'm having that thing again. You got anything? I'm just thinking about Scotch eggs. That was my craving when I was pregnant. Really? Around. Yeah, my first child is mostly made of sausage meat. Nobody really has the craving for, um, like, coal nah. or, nah, nah, nah. or marmite with mayonnaise nah. with gherkins. That's um, stuff meant from the 70s talk about. It's I just, think. I've it, never known anyone. I mean, you just fancy... I oh, just really fancied sausage meat, so I'd have... You know those gala pies? So you'd yeah, have yeah. with the egg in the middle. Yeah. I was very into the sausage and egg combo. I tell you what I, what I do like, and I don't get it, but I like it. I don't... Sometimes... Sometimes you don't ask questions about food. Pizza with an egg on the top. What? Oh, I, I never tried that. <laughs> they do it in Pizza Express, I think. Pizza with an egg on the top. Wallop. Have some of that sunshine. Beautiful. Beautiful. I can see it could work. Simon Cowell has got uh, he, Simon Cowell has got the body of a man from the 1970s, hasn't he? Look Let's at that, see. Look at that body. Yeah, or 50s. If his waist was slightly smaller and he's more triangular, he would be 50s super. If nice. I had a body like that, I would not walk around topless. Anyway, Why is he walking around topless anyway? That's a little bit. Uh... He's trying to prove he's a heterosexual. Why does he need to prove that? Well, because he's, he's he, he, he wants to look manly, doesn't he? And well, the way you do that, I think the the walking around topless is such an old fashioned. It's it's a horrible sixties seventies look, and I really don't like people doing it. And he's doing it, and he's just they do it in town, don't they? They do. I know. Well, he's in Miami here. He's not at the beach anymore. He's in Miami, very sunburnt chest. And also, Miami. You're in Miami. It's not a surprise that it's warm. Surely there are clothes. I mean, they wear a Hawaiian shirt out there, I believe. Yeah, I'm you not. Know, you could. You can cover up nicely. I'm not a fan. Cool. All these pictures of his of his baby as well. I mean, congratulations. Well done to everybody involved. To baby Eric. But it's it's a weird. There was oh, it's pi- still new. You know what people are like. There's that picture of the the doggy licking the baby the other day. That was weird. Mm. Thoroughly unpleasant. You got anything else? 
Um, will baby George get a nanny after all, asks the male. Yes. Well, I think we know the answer to that, don't we? And business. Daily Telegraph. We never do business, do we? Okay, let's have a bit of business. AO founder rejects talk of bubble as shares leap. And film leaves DreamWorks in slow lane. That's the reason we don't do... And RBS to net £1 billion in sale of direct line stake. Wowzers. That's There's... not the meaty kind, that's the uh, stocks and shares kind. I'll tell you what, 08459 four double five five double five. This morning we're arguing about what age should kids get uh, pocket money. My little boy's four, he gets, uh, he gets like about a pound, pound fifty on a Friday, uh, and he might get a comic as well. And to do that, he has to earn it. So he I haven't even chores. started on that yet, Five. but I have started on telling her, you know, to pick her stuff up. Have you not... Cause does I she, just don't bribe her. Does she not look at... It's not bribery. It's, is. it's rewarding. Does she not look at coins and go, look, what is this coin, what is that coin? We went through the coins the other day. Yeah. It, 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 what? Yeah. But, but, Before they're snatched away and put into a bank account. <laughs> oh, Catherine. 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. When did you get pocket money? Or when did your kids or your grandkids get it? Is four too young? Or am I the most responsible out of the two parents working here? Your microphone's off so you can't comment on it. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. On the M1 northbound, there's a lane closed on the exit slip road for Junction 11 for Dunstable because a vehicle's broken down. On the sensors, not causing any major delays, though. The southbound carriageway of the M1, though, looking slow between Junction 11 for Dunstable and 8 for Hemel Hempstead. Also, the A1M looking very slow between the Stevenage junctions, that's 8 to 7. On public transport, the Metropolitan Line have minor delays between Uxbridge and Harrow-on-the-Hill because of late finish of engineering works. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. Alice, thank you very much indeed. Do give us a call this morning if you fancy it. 08459 455 555. What age did you start to get pocket money? And if you've got kids or grandkids, what age do you give it to them and how much? Is four too young? He's not getting pounds and pounds. He gets like a pound a week and maybe a comic. Obviously gets more than that. I mean, otherwise it'd be a miserable existence. Let me explain. Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's seven o'clock, I'm Simon Oxley. The headlines, murder of terminally ill husband was not a mercy killing. Indoor water park for the Milton Keynes Bowl and Hemel Hempstead sinkhole still leaving people homeless. BBC Three Counties Radio. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. Dismissing her claims, the judge at Luton Crown Court said Sheila Samford robbed her husband of the chance to say goodbye to his daughter. More from Craig Lewis. Although 83-year-old John Sampford was dying of cancer, Chief Inspector Mark Glover says she didn't strangle him to end his suffering. There were other factors in the inquiry that led us to believe Sheila had committed this murder for other reasons. DCI Glover believes she said it was a mercy killing to make herself feel better. Yes, I do. I think she probably believed that after it had happened, yes. The judge ruled Mrs Sampford must serve a minimum of nine years in jail. Major redevelopment of the National Bowl in Milton Keynes has moved a step closer with £26 million plans for the UK's largest indoor water park and a sports village. Milton Keynes Development Partnership has granted Moray Capital preferred bidder status for the project, which would create 650 new jobs 
Investment is also planned for the bowl arena, meaning more events and concerts. Standard Life has become the first big Scottish company to warn that it's drawing up contingency plans to move its multi-billion pound business out of the country if there's a vote in favour of independence in September. BBC News has learned the investment firm would move jobs and assets to England if Scotland broke away from the rest of the UK unless there was a formal currency and tax deal. A homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. David Ketley, who lives in Oatridge Gardens, has been living in a hotel since the hole appeared on the 15th of February. More from Tara Gungerful. Mr Ketley says he's frustrated that it's taking so long to get the problem sorted and fears he may be unable to sell his property now, which he had put on the market. The hole, which was 35 feet wide and 25 feet deep, was filled with concrete six days ago. But Mr Ketley says there's a delay in getting properties reconnected with the mains gas supply and he's now been told he won't be back in his home until March the 11th at the earliest. A man has been seriously injured after being hit and then attacked with a wine bottle during a break-in at his home in Blunham in Bedfordshire in the early hours of yesterday morning. Two men broke into the house in Grange Road at around 1am as they left with cash. The 51-year-old managed to hit one of the robbers over the head with a torch. Bedford Hospital has scored highly in a survey which indicates whether it's a good place to work. The survey was taken at a time when the hospital was coming under criticism from parents in the town for changes to its paediatric services. In sport, Chelsea drew one all the way to the Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie last night after taking an early lead through Fernando Torres. The weather, rain clearing eastwards this morning to leave a mixture of sunshine and showers, a maximum temperature 10 degrees Celsius and you can get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Thank you, Simon. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Busy, busy morning this morning. Some of the things we're talking about include the story you just heard there with Simon Oxley. Judge dismisses mercy killing defence. Well, does it change your opinion on mercy killings? It was the argument used in court, dismissed by the judge as nonsense. Sinkhole neighbours are stuck in hotels for another fortnight. What's the right age to start giving kids pocket money? I say as young as possible. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can give me a phone call 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a 75-year-old Milton Keynes woman is waking up behind bars this morning after a judge dismissed her claim to have killed her husband out of mercy. Sheila Sanford's been sentenced to life for strangling her husband of 50 years who'd been suffering from uh, leukaemia. She told Luton Crown Court that John wanted to end his life and she'd agreed to help him. An argument dismissed by the judge who said that she'd snapped under pressure. Well, joining me now are Joe Cartwright from the campaign group Dignity in Dying and Dr Andrew Ferguson, a former GP and spokesman for the Care Not Killing Alliance. Morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Joe, let's start with you. This is the sort of case that people who oppose assisted suicide warn us about, isn't it? Not at all, no. I think this is the kind of case that shows why a situation where people can talk about what they want and have an open discussion with their healthcare professionals and their family members about 
if they want to die and, and why they want to die would be far better than the current situation where people are making decisions behind closed doors. This uh, woman was found guilty of murder. She claimed it was uh, uh, a mercy killing, assisted suicide. We, we just don't know how these things work, do we? If, if I, uh, I've made comments about not wanting to carry on if I get a terminal illness in the past. doesn't mean that, yeah. that someone can take my life away from me, does it? Absolutely not, and it's right that these cases obviously are investigated, and I don't know whether the judge made the, made the right decision in this case, because obviously none of us know what happened behind those um, behind those doors, but what I do know is that if, if this gentleman had had an opportunity to talk to his healthcare professionals that, about the fact that he wanted to die, if he did want to die, and was able to explore that, then this wouldn't have happened, and that's why I want to see assisted dying legalised in the UK. Andrew, does this, the, the cases like this strengthen your argument in the, the Care Not Killing Alliance? I think what we've had here all along has been a tragic domestic homicide in which we can't possibly know what really happened because the, the, the key witness is dead. And that's the argument, uh, as I think you've indicated, Ian, for, for not changing the law. We do have to have uh, law in, uh, in existence. This was a case of murder. Uh, Sheila Sanford pleaded guilty to that, and so the judge had no choice about a life sentence. But within sentencing guidelines for judges, there are a range of uh, uh, guidelines as to uh, how serious, in inverted commas, the taking of life was. We saw yesterday, coincidentally, the uh, whole life sentence and a 45-year sentence for the two men who killed uh, Lee Rigby. Now, against that, um, the fact that Sheila Sanford can't apply for parole before nine years are up um, looks relatively lenient. Conversely, she might have had a more lenient sentence still had the judge been more sympathetic to her counsel's claims uh, about mitigating factors that he was suffering, that he wanted out, that his last words to her were, I love you, and so on. I think it's a tragedy. Uh, I'm sorry about it in every way. The judge seemed to uh, think that uh, John Sanford had taken the news of uh, his illness well. It had given him time to put his affairs in order. Uh, he singled out the fact that um, he was deprived of the chance to make his goodbyes with their only child and, and, and so on. Judges have a difficult job to do, but yes, the law is right. It should be there. Um, I don't think this case helps dignity in dying or, or care not killing, really. I suppose it, an argument could be, Andrew, that, that it, this proves that the law can work. She claims it was assisted suicide and the judge didn't buy it. So, so one could argue that it is difficult for um, cases of murder to, you know, to, to hide under the banner of assisted suicide. It, it, that would mean, perhaps, that it's actually quite a safe option. Well, I think you're proving the point that we need a law there. The, the argument against changing the law, and Joe Cartwright and Dignity in Dying are arguing for a much more minor issue of assisted suicide in people with less than six months to live, um, and that's been the feature of Lord Faulkner's bill coming up in Parliament this year. Um, but we do need a, a law there to tell us how much we uh, value life and to take away the temptation from people's minds. People's hearts may say yes, but their heads have got to say no to them. Um, yes, I think this is, as I say, uh, an example of where the law on homicide has worked. I, I'm not sure the judge bought the argument this was anything to do with euthanasia at all. Joe. 
I agree that laws need to be in place and, and this does go far beyond what Dignity and Dying is calling for because we would like the patient to be in control of that decision about whether they would, would want to end their suffering. But I do think that an, an assisted dying law where this man could have discussed his wishes with his doctors and his healthcare professionals to end his suffering would have been far better and it would have provided a safety net had he not wanted to die so to you be able to flag up those those concerns as well. And so, so you, you, you think, Joe, that if, if the patient were able to discuss this with health officials and doctors and, and care workers, that would be uh, the, the safety net that is required to make sure that, that homicides and murders don't take place? Well, homicides and murders would still take place, but it would take away that aspect for people who are terminally ill who want the choice for themselves to have to make these decisions without conversation so involving family members loved ones doctors people who can assess whether that person really wants to die whether there's anything else that can be done to make their suffering bearable and make their existence more acceptable for them would be far better because then all these decisions are made before the person has died rather than these conversations happening after someone's died and there's nothing we can do about it and i guess that's an important point isn't it andrew if the law were changed so that people could talk freely about this with doctors and and medical workers and the responsibility was taken away from family and loved ones and put in a more scientific medical situation it would be safer wouldn't it when we change law three things happen we do what the new law says that's obvious that's why we changed it uh, history teaches us and there are tragic examples from belgium and holland in countries with health and social systems very like ours that we go a lot further than the new law says but the most important thing that happens is that we change the climate of public opinion in which individuals make their decisions um, and previous parliamentary uh, rejections of changing the law have talked about pressures whether real or imagined. We've no evidence at all that uh, John Sanford wanted his life ended. We've no evidence that he was suffering in any physical way. If he had been, then we've got palliative care now, which can do a wonderful job. We need to end the idea that in some areas is gaining ground that death is the answer. We need to care for people and not kill them. But isn't sometimes, Andrew, sometimes death is caring. Palliative care is excellent. It doesn't always... Um, provide dignity and it doesn't always provide uh, pain relief and comfort does it it ought to be able to provide pain relief and comfort i would argue it's not dignity that people lose in these situations it's their sense of dignity and it's our response to that psychologically socially spiritually in a whole person sense i think that's what society should be doing not taking the uh, the easier answer but when um, uh, my my dad passed away last year he had uh, pancreatic cancer it was very very sad and in his last month six weeks there was no dignity in his life uh, me and my brother had to c- carry him out of the bed put him on a commode stand him up wipe his back so all of that stuff andrew there's no dignity there is there I can understand your dad losing his sense of dignity. I can understand you and your brother feeling this is undignified. But but these things happen in life. They're part of the warp and woof of what it means to be human and to live for a a good long time. And it's the attitudes of family and, and professional carers. And yes, of course we should do better. And we're having this discussion against a background of uh, fewer resources for the NHS and in social care and so on. And that makes it an even more worrying time to be considering Lord Faulkner's bill. Um, No, I think uh, I can understand you saying that, Ian, and and I'm sorry to hear about your dad as I'm sorry to hear about John Sanford, and in a way I'm sorry to hear about Sheila Sanford, but we do need to keep law there and to do even better at caring for people. Joe, final word to you. 
I think if an individual feels that their dignity is being compromised and they are suffering at the end of their lives and, and they are going to die anyway within weeks or months, then it should be up to them to be able to choose whether to end their suffering or not. And it would better protect people if we had that in place. I really appreciate your time this morning, both of you. Uh, last voice you heard there, Joe Cartwright from the campaign group Dignity in Dying. And Dr Andrew Ferguson, former GP and spokesman for the Care Not Killing Alliance. Over to you. We do this every now and then, this conversation, and it's one that, that will keep popping up for various reasons. 08459 455 555. I guess the obvious question is that we've asked before. Uh, assisted suicide, uh, a voluntary euthanasia, what do you reckon? You up for it? Or does this case, does this Sheila Sampford case make you think, hang on a second, actually, I'm not sure that this is the right way to go. She murdered her husband. According to the judge, so we can say it, she murdered him because she lost her temper. She snapped. It wasn't the mercy killing that she claimed it was. 08459 455 555. Do cases like Mrs Samford, do they muddy the waters slightly when it comes to talking about assisted suicide? Is your the argument that you had in your head that w- w- was perhaps once quite clear, as I think mine was, does it become a little bit blurry when you hear things like this? Give me a call, or you can go to Facebook, or you can send me a text, 81333, start your text, 3CR. Also on Facebook, we're having the discussion about pocket money for kids. What age do you give kids pocket money? My little boy at four, if he does some jobs, if, he's, uh, if he does as he's told, helps around the house... Small things. I'm not talking about, you know, fixing the car and um, hanging doors and stuff. It's like taking his his plates after his meal. If he does that a few days in the week, if he tidies up his toys, uh, if he helps take the washing out of the washing machine and hang it up. I get my daughter to do that. She's five. Yeah. In return for praise. She's not asking for cash yet. Oh, so she's... Oh, dear. She just wants praise and validation. Right, so that. so that's so that's going to mean when she's older that she'll constantly be searching searching for praise and validation. If she doesn't get it, well, how's that going to affect her? Oh yeah, silly me. Yeah. I should just be bribing her, shouldn't I? It's not bribery. It's it's rewarding in the capitalist system that we live in. That's the whole. The, oh, so you're teaching her that money's the reward? No, no, no. I'm I'm teaching that money is a reward. He also gets praise as well, but he's not solely dependent on praise and validation. He should be able to validate himself. He shouldn't be searching for validation from others. Oh, yeah, you like that? Yeah, thank you. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M1 southbound looking very slow today between junction 11 for Dunstable and 8 for Hemel Hempstead. The M25 anti clockwise also struggling between junction 21 for the M1 and 20 for Kings Langley. Slow on the A1M on the sensors between Junction 4 for Welling Garden City and 2 for North Mims. Also on the speed sensors, the A5 slow in both directions around Dunstable. And on public transport, we want ongoing minor delays on the Metropolitan Line between Uxbridge and Harrow-on-the-Hill for a late finish to engineering works. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. But they don't. 7.16, it's Thursday the 27th of February. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. The judge at Luton Crown Court dismissed Sheila Sanford's claims. 
A homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. And in sport, Chelsea drew one all away to Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie last night. Football. The weather today, rain clearing this morning. The day will then be bright, chilly with a few showers. Maximum temperature is 10 degrees. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday morning from nine, the JVS Show. Well, whose fault is it that there are so many fat people in this country? It's a horrible word. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. But why do you want to kind of tiptoe around the issue? People are people. People aren't fat just because they're big. Tackling your consumer problems. Over the last few months, I've been palmed off every few days. There are some absolute rogues out there yeah. in the car industry. Tim, I'm going to send uh, Wayne in yes, to you. Tim. Let's get some detail and we'll get okay, this sorted out. The J- BBS show, weekdays from nine, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Sinkholes. It's sinkhole season, kids. We've had a few. There's well, loads across the country and certainly a couple of big ones. Uh, in beds, hearts and bucks, and now a group of Hemel residents forced to evacuate their homes when a sinkhole appeared in their street have been told they'll have to stay out for at least another fortnight, possibly even a month. The 35-foot-wide and 25-foot-deep crater opened in Oak Ridge Gardens on February the 15th. Well, Justin Dealey has been back to the estate. Morning, Just. Hello, Ian. What's going on? The, the hole got filled in, didn't it? Yeah, the hole got filled in last weekend. Um, so what's the problem? Well, there's six houses directly around the sinkhole. Now, those people, they could be out of their homes for up to six months, which is incredible. We were on the estate last Friday. Now, we were told that the gas was going to be restored early this week, so the vast majority of people in the 48 homes affected, well, they could return home. Well, they've now been told they can't go home with full facilities until the 11th of March, so most people staying in hotels, but there are just a handful of people who have decided to stay, they're living on a building site there, and they have no gas. Here's two of those people affected. Well, Donna, as one of the only people living here on this estate, um, when are you likely to get your gas back? We were told uh, last week on Friday it was going to be early this week, so have you got it back yet? No, still nothing, nothing at all, it's still cold. <laughs> what are you being told? Um, that it could be at least next week. So it's just a case of having to wait. They don't know whether they're going to have to put in a whole new load of pipe work. So it's just they don't, won't know that until they get down there and have a mooch. So for the time being, you and your children having to cope with these small electric heaters? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, luckily, I mean, the weather's not too bad out here, so it's not that bad. But when it is cold, it is cold. And some of our listeners might be thinking, well, if you're insured to be in a hotel, why are you still here? I'm literally, I'm staying here purely because of my son. He's he's got all sorts of little difficulties, bless him. So I just need to keep it as grounded and as normal as possible for him. But there's other people that have got gas cookers that can't necessarily be here. So it's it's just a case of making the best of what you can. So if you moved into a hotel, the upheaval would really upset your son and his yes. routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's no way I could do it for him. No way. Now, Amanda, you've got five children. You're still living here. What's it been like since that sinkhole developed? Not sort of being able to let the kids out and play in that. Um, you know, obviously, no gas as well. 
Yeah, so it's been quite bad, really. Just spoken to your neighbour who was talking about the gas. What are you being told? Are you constantly making phone calls, finding out when the gas might come back? And if so, what's been said to you? Well, yeah, we've had meetings and, and that, um, but they've not really given us any answers. Um, just like, you know, just when they get the answers from the builders, then they sort of let us know, but that's about it, really. And again, you, you would be insured to be in a hotel like your neighbour. Um, so why have you decided to stay here without any gas? Uh, well, because I have so many children, it would just be, you know, a bit of a nightmare. I mean, how are they coping? Are they finding it like a like a mini experience almost? Well, they're more worried there's no internet because the phone lines are down as well. So, um, you know, they can't do sort of homework and things like that. Mm. Uh, so, other than that, they're not really happy about it, no. no. Justin, thank you very much for that. It sounds like a nightmare, doesn't it? It is an absolute nightmare. And to be fair, Ian, you know, this happened on the 15th of February uh, when I was there yesterday afternoon. The scene hasn't really changed. Uh, the area it is still fenced off. There is a security presence there. And I do feel for the residents because they want answers. Yes, they've had meetings, but, but they keep on being told it could be this date, then it gets moved back again. These people, they just want to return home. <laughs> must be very frustrating. Well, listening to that is David Ketley, who is still in a hotel. David, you, you, what, tell us what happened. When did you have to move out of your home? Um, I moved out on the 15th, so the day it all happened. Right, OK. And, and how quick... I mean, who, who helped you move? Did the council come round? Did the police come round? What, was, what, what happened? Um, well, it was a, a really a mixture of everyone. Um, the housing station over there... Um, uh, the council turned up to just give some assistance in terms of detailing what to do and what was going on. Uh, police were there just to kind of keep everyone safe. Um, in terms of actually getting everything out, it was all up to us. Oh. Um, people generally took kind of two, three days worth of clothing, bits and pieces, um, and then it's just kind of been extended. So people have gone. People who can go back, well, pretty much everyone who who's been able to go back has gone back, picked up more. Um, of our stuff and and now we have kind of weeks two weeks worth of um goods as well so and and then, and then you've got washing which is thrown into the mix as well oh, which is, is uh, even more difficult i guess the, the 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 hole was filled in i think last friday yes uh did you kind of think you'd be able to go back pretty soon after that i mean generally the majority of Houses which aren't fenced off can go back. Right. The problem is, is that there's the safety issue with no phone lines. There's no access for emergency services. We've got no reports detailing that the whole estate is safe still. Um, we don't know when we're going to get those reports. Um, it's been indicated those might be this weekend. Could be sometime next week. Um, so, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so when the, what have they said, David? Who, when have they said that it's likely you can go back? I wouldn't like to say. Um, they're hoping after the 11th, um, but it is really down to the gas and these reports coming out um, positively. If these reports are negative, then um, we don't know where we stand at all. If they say that the whole site ha- it, it isn't safe. So the 11th of March? So hang on, that's um, just under two weeks away. Yes. Uh, that must be very frustrating. How are you feeling? It, uh, uh, I suppose, on one hand, uh, we're, we're, the general feeling is that we're all very annoyed. A lot of people just want to go back to their homes. They want to be in their own beds. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we understand that, that, that there is a new gas line which may need to go in. Even if they need to reconnect the old gas line, that could be prob- problematic. Um, we just want to be safe. So as long as they're doing as much as possible yeah. to make the estate safe, 
then I think that, that there is kind of a bit of acceptance, but there needs to be some clarity and some openness from both the Housing Association and the insurers. Have I got this right, David, that you um, you own 50% of your property with the High Town Housing Association? Is that right? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. And how have the Housing Association been? Have they been helpful? They, they seem to be doing as much as they can. They're really, they're governed by what the insurers tell them. Um, it's the insurers being difficult, not the housing association they're giving as much information out we feel i feel personally they're trying to give us as much information as they can but they are really governed by the insurers who just seem to be making life more and more difficult for them um and and for the residents is it true you want to sell your property i've sold my property you've sold it yes has it all gone through no no, I had a phone call from the estate agent two days ago saying the buyer still wanted the property, but the mortgage company, um, obviously, in this situation, have kind of gone back on their agreement. So, um, completely understandable. The mortgage company wants certain reports, which now I'm having to chase myself because we were already told that the reports they require, we were never going to get. You're never so going to get them? Why not? They, they want a guarantee in terms of the price oh, of the property, right. and um, there's no. I don't think anyone can. Never, and I would never be able to guarantee no. the price of property. Properties prices fluctuate so much anyway. Yeah, of course. Um, it's it's the same with kind of the floods. We were looking at kind of two, three years until prices return to their. So the buyer, the buyer wants level. the property still, which is a great yeah. sign. But are you worried that the mortgage company might pull out? Um, yeah, uh, if, 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 if it was me buying, I probably would have the kind of a few more doubts. And then I think I think everyone can see the mortgage companies are going to find it very difficult to lend on any of the ownership, shared ownership properties. David, I, I, you know, I sympathise. I've got no idea what it must feel like, but I wish you the very best of luck. Maybe we'll speak in a couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks so much. Best of luck, mate. Take care. Bye bye, David Ketley, living in a hotel, sold his property. Well kind of sold his property it's not gone through yet oh dear selling and moving and buying houses is one of the most stressful things anyway isn't it awful and then to have that thrown into the mix and you've got to be honest if you're buying a property then suddenly a massive sinkhole appears underneath it and the resident or near it and the residents can't move in for a month couple of months you wouldn't want that property would you you'd pull out of that pretty sharpish Surely. He's, ah, do you know what? I think, I think we'll look somewhere else. Maybe about 50 miles away. That would be the case, wouldn't it? 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Uh, you can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. On Facebook this morning, we're asking about pocket money. When is the right age to start giving your kids pocket money? My boy who's four kind of gets, I mean, he gets like one pound. I don't know exactly the exact figures. If they can do jobs, Andrew says, if they can hoover and clean the car at four, send them to mine. I will pay them. My boy cleans the car. I mean, it's... It's you, clean in quote marks. Yeah, it, it, but it, it, it's rubbish. Let's be honest. He, he cleans the car, the car badly. And when they hoover, they kind of sit on the hoover because they enjoy the uh, the whoosh. Um, but but it, they're learning. They're learning responsibility. They're learning to hey, help their parents. I'm not arguing about that nope. against that, and um, I don't mind the kids. You know, I, I actively encourage the kids to help me around the house. I just yep. hadn't brought money into it yet. I, I didn't think that I'd needed to when they're five. Uh, Andrew and says, two. realistic. Oh, well, the two-year-old doesn't get anything. Realistically, about twelve to fourteen. What do four-year-olds need money for? Uh, CBB's comics. Uh, and Michelle says, teach them young, or you'll end up being the family slave. 
I can't wait for the day they can make a proper cup of coffee. And not just what, what my boy calls water coffee, which is where he gets the small cups and just puts water in. I made your water coffee, Daddy. Mm, delicious. Yeah, horrible. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M1 southbound looking much slower than normal today on the sensors between Junction 11 for Dunstable and 8 for Hemel Hempstead. And the M25 anti-clockwise slow going between Junction 19 for Watford and 16 for the M40. The A1M southbound also slow between 4 for Welling Garden City and 2 for North Mims. And the A5 southbound struggling between the Kensworth turnoff and the M1 Junction 9 for Redbourne. Public transport has no reported problems. I'm Alice Gloss at BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 7.30, I'm Simon Oxley. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. Environmental campaigners say extending a tunnel through the Chilterns could save a third of the ancient woodland that's under threat from the HS2 high-speed rail project. Major redevelopment at the National Bowl in Milton Keynes has moved a step closer with £26 million plans for the UK's largest indoor water park and a sports village. And a homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Chelsea drew one all away to the Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie last night after taking an early lead through Fernando Torres. Here's manager Jose Mourinho. In the first half we were the best team. We had two, three, four situations where normally you have to, you have to be effective and, and, and score. But in the second half, they put uh, more pressure on us. We were more, uh, more defensively. At the same time, Fernando, who was dangerous, was really tired and asked me to make the change. So we lost a little bit of power. In last night's other tie, Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo both scored twice as Real Madrid won 6-1 away to the German side Schalke. Luton manager John Still and leading scorer Andre Gray have won the Conference Manager and Player of the Month awards for February. Still says Gray and his fellow front players have been on top form. You know, to be for our attacking four uh, are a handful. Jake Howells, I think, is playing... You know, if he's ever played better at this club, he must have been some player because I think he's been absolutely terrific at the moment. I really do. Uh, Andre keeps scoring goals. Benno is absolutely top, top drawer. And Gat, so, you know, we're, 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 we're attacking really well. Bedford Rugby Club have signed England under-20 second-row forward Harry Wells on loan from Leicester. It follows a neck injury to Ben Gulliver. England cricketer Jonathan Trott is set to make his comeback for Warwickshire in April. The batsman left the Ashes tour of Australia in December with a stress-related illness. And the world champion Red Bull Formula One team are to get the freedom of Milton Keynes. The status will be confirmed at a special council meeting next month. BBC Three Counties News and Sports. The next full bulletin is at eight. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Has texted in, Ian, you go on about this mercy killer, which on the scale of things is worthy of mention. But why are you silent on the Lee Rigby killers who again escape real justice? Excuse me? They should have hung, hanged, or been given a lethal injection for their cowardly crime. Why should the taxpayer pay for their right to live? It's a disgrace. 
They were caught on camera, so we definitely know it was them. Again, we have failed Lee Rigby's family. Several things I'd like to address. Uh, we're mentioning the uh, the Samford case because um, it's local. Okay, We're a local radio station, and it's a local story. The Lee Rigby killers, it's not local... I'm not being. I don't know what to say on it. What do you want me to say on it? It was a terrible thing that happened, um, and the, the two fellas have been sentenced. They should have been hung or been given a lethal injection for their cowardly crime. Why should the taxpayer pay for their right to live? They've escaped justice. Let me address those points. They haven't escaped justice. One of them has been sentenced to a minimum of 45 years in prison. I think he's something like uh, 22. Yeah. Oh, no, hang on. Adabalajo, he's 29, was given a whole life tariff, while his younger accomplice will serve a minimum of 45 years. So Adabawale will serve a minimum of 45 years. He won't be out until he's 67 at the earliest. I suggest he possibly won't come out uh, before then. Uh, they won't come out after then. And Adabalajo, 29, will spend the rest of his life in prison. So that's not escaping justice, is it? That's not escaping justice. That, that's, that's, those are pretty severe punishments. Pretty, pretty severe punishments. OK? They should have been hanged or been given a lethal injection for their cowardly crime. No, they shouldn't. And we've done the, 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 the bring back the death penalty. It doesn't work, Pat. It doesn't work. Yeah, we know these fellas did this crime. We know these fellas did, OK? But it doesn't work because other people will be hanged or lethally injected that didn't commit murders, that were set up. The evidence wasn't good enough. They confessed under duress. They're not... We can do the, the... Should we bring back the death penalty thing? If you want. It's a little bit lazy, but... We can't... Oh, bring it back for these two. Well, no. We can't. Have we failed Lee Rigby's family? I would think 45 years minimum and a life sentence... I don't see that as a failing. If you kill them as well, where's the punishment in that? There's no punishment in it. There's no punishment. They're dead. They'll be happy. They go off to, you know, get their 21 virgins they've been promised or whatever it is. They go and get to meet Allah. So they'll be happy with that. They got to sit in prison for the rest of their lives. Being miserable. And do you really think, I don't believe in, uh, in uh, the internal prison justice handed out by uh, crooks and gangsters, but do you really think they're going to have a comfortable life in prison? Of course they're not. Of course they're not. 08459 455 555. We're not being silent for any political reason. We're being silent because I don't know what to say about it. It's not a local story, although we do do national stories, but I don't really know what to say about it. If you want to give us a call and let me know what you want to say about it, then please do. Uh, Helen's in Milton Keynes. Helen, mercy killings you've called in about. What would you like to say? Um, yeah, you know, I spoke to you once before and I told you that um, if I had cancer once upon a time and if it come back... Yes. It's come back. And uh, I found out a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I'm really, I'm really sorry to hear that, Helen. And at the moment, I don't know how bad it is, but... Um, if it became terminal, I would, I would still do what I've said I would do. Um, but I would do. But like this week, I've been out and I've made my will and I've even done my funeral arrangements for my children. I'm expecting two grandchildren this year, and I'm expecting my son to get married this year, and the other one's coming home from Afghanistan. Um, but I'm going to live every day I can. But when it gets to the stage, Ian, that I have to wipe my own... But someone has to wipe my own backside for me and has to feed me, I will know when the time is. 
Helen, how, how long have you been uh, clear from cancer? I was cleared for three years. Three years. And wh- whereabouts is this cancer, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, it, was, it's just, uh, it was first, a couple of years ago, it started in the bladder. Yeah. And I have a bag on my stomach. Yeah. And now it's into my kidney. And you found out a couple of weeks ago, did you? Yeah. I'm on morphine and that now, as it is. Yeah. I but can't... I think there's too much hatred in the world. As if people would just stop for one day and consider it was their last day on earth, yeah. and see what they think. Oh, it's, it, listen. It's, do you know what? this is an exercise I did a little while ago? Actually, it's a good exercise to do. Just imagine you've been told you've got a week. Look back at what you've done and what you want to do in that last week, and it really does. Um, boy, you sort out what's what's important in your life. You do. You really, really do. You you put all your, the things that you think are big and worrying about, when really they're not, compared to other things, like love and family and stuff like that. You, I, I can't even begin to imagine what you must have felt like when you got that news, that, that you, you can't come back. Yeah, well, the day I spoke to you, I, I hadn't been feeling very well, and I'd been bleeding and bits and pieces. Yeah. And I'd been in a lot of pain, and I had a strange feeling, but... Uh, as I say, I got it confirmed at Northampton Hospital. And what's the prognosis, Helen? What have, what have they said? Well, at the moment, um, I've got to go and have um, an operation, which I'm waiting for the date. They've said it would probably be next week, next Monday or Tuesday. They're going to phone me. They're not going to send a letter. Yeah. And then they're going to take it from there. But they said that I've only got one kidney, you see, Ian. I lost the other one when I was younger. You're having a run of bad luck, aren't you? Yeah, but you've got to look on the bright side of life. I've had a good life, and hopefully I'll be around this year to see my grandchildren grow up. Well, my grandchildren born, not grow up. So you've got, you got two on the way, have you? Yeah. When, when, when are they due? One is due in July, and the other one is in October. It's not too far away, is it? No, not really. Not too far and away. And I have a wedding in June. Oh, so you've got, you've got a busy year, then. You've got a lot of stuff to, to stick around for. I have, and I'm not going to give up. I'm no. going to let this thing, you know, I'm going to put up a damn good fight. Yeah. But and as long as I can wake up every morning and hear a brilliant radio station like that, makes me laugh, makes me cry. You listen to then Heart, then, do you? Oh, you're talking about us, blimey. Wow, thank you. You're well, you, 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 You're talking about how you, um, and let's speak bluntly, if it gets too bad, you would want to kill yourself. Yeah. What's your definition of too bad, do you think? To the stage where I couldn't if someone would say to me right you're gonna have to go into a hospice or i know some hospice are beautiful places and everything or go into hospital and i have to be fed and have my backside wiped for me and stuff like that i want to be able to do stuff myself i want to be able to do the things that i can do and not let somebody else take over you're in um a pretty unique position when it comes to talking about uh, assisted suicide and things like that because uh, you are poorly and we don't quite know what's going to happen and touching wood and doing all the things that they can they can sort you out because they can do brilliant things. That's right, they can. They can do I, brilliant things. You no, know, I, I said to you, uh, if it come back and it, what they told me and after I've had the operation that there's nothing else they can do for me, then I will go out and I'll probably have a great big vodka or whatever and I'll start, you know... <laughs> But eventually, I know when. I'll know in myself yeah. when the right time is. 
So what do you say to, to people who think that what you're talk- that even what you're talking about is, um, is uh, in some ways criminal, is, is, is wrong? What would you say to the people who, who, who think they that... They have to be in that person's shoes. Like, it's all right people saying it's wrong if they haven't been through it themselves, isn't it? It's all right to say to somebody, um, just for an example, you're not to go and do this because it's wrong. But if so you put that person in the, my situation, and some mornings I'm on morphine now, I wake up and I'm in agony, and I know that's going to get worse before it attempts to get better. But, no, I don't think people should judge people until they're actually stood in their shoes. Helen, have you spoken to your family about, A, your illness, and, B, your, your um, the, the, the thoughts and plans? Yes. Yeah, um, my son and his partner was with me when we were told and they've been with me all step of the way and um we've all been in the forces well apart from one of my sons and um i said to them and they said well if that's you know that's what you want but just do one thing and i said what's that they said make sure we have a good good time before and you say goodbye to us Mm -hmm. and that's what i'll do You've got to have a bit of a knees up, haven't you? Of course I have. Have a little bit of a knees up. Yeah. No, I'm bringing your programme down. No, no, you're not. You're not at all, Helen. I really appreciate because I know you. You, you text. You've been texting him for ages, and then you called up a couple of weeks ago, and it was nice to put a voice uh, to the text. You're not bringing the programme down at all. I really appreciate uh, your honesty that, and, and for calling up and telling us about this. Uh, what I'd also like, Helen, if you don't mind, and it's up to you. But as, you know, things progress, maybe you can give us a call when you feel a bit better after your operation and let us know how that went and uh, what the doctors are saying about the future. Yeah. If you fancy it, and if you don't, you don't. I, I won't judge you at all. It's, you know, it's entirely up to no, you. But I'll keep in touch. I really will. Now I've actually spoken to you a yeah. few times. Yeah, I will. I see I'm not so bad on the phone. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I can be quite nice, can't I? Everyone, as well. <laughs> thank you. See, everyone thinks I'm an ogre, and I'm I, I'm I'm quite a People nice People shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Shouldn't judge a book by its cover or its audio book. That's right. Helen, <laughs> listen, we're all thinking of you. Okay. I wish you and your family lots of love and the best of luck, and and um, good luck with the operation next week, and we'll speak when you feel up to it. Okay. Thanks Take a lot, care Helen. Yourself. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Ah. <sighs> few seconds i think for all of us just to uh, take stock of that phone call and to take take stock of where we are in our lives and what's important in our lives and what's not when you hear something like that when you hear someone who is in a lot of distress and is talking incredibly openly and incredibly honestly about the plans they have for their life if things don't quite turn out the way they want them to. How can you be anti-assisted suicide? How can you be anti-mercy killing? How can you be against someone in Helen's position being faced with her own mortality in blunt, stark terms, how can you be against someone like that wanting to take control of, of a, a, a situation? And I, I hope that they do a great job next week and that, you know, we'll be talking to Helen in a couple of years' time. But 
how can you be against someone like that in that position wanting to take control of the situation wanting to potentially put themselves out of their misery before it happens wanting to try and control a situation i'm struggling to find the words because it is so raw isn't it it is so blunt. And uh, Helen, thank you so much for... You've not put a downer on the show at all. You've given us all something to ponder about. And in some ways, in some ways, uh, it, it, it was kind of uplifting because it's got me thinking about what's important to me. It's got me thinking about my boys and my mum and my wife. None of this stuff matters. Jobs don't matter. Idiots on the internet don't matter. This is, you, you've made me think about what is important. So thank you for that. But is there anybody listening now who's just heard Helen's call, who can still argue that assisted suicide is a bad idea. 08459 Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. On the M1 southbound, things looking slow still between Junction 12 for Flittick and 8 for Hemel Hempstead. The M25 anti-clockwise also struggling between 21 for the M1 and 16 for the M40. Slow on the A1M southbound between Junction 9 for Letchworth and 7 for Stevenage. And on the speed sensors, the A5 southbound, or the A6, sorry, southbound, slow at the Clop Hill roundabout. And in Chesant, the A10 struggling between Turnfold and Waltham Cross. Public transport has no reported problems. I'm Alice Gloss at BBC Three Counties Radio. Alice, thank you very much. 7.46, it's Thursday the 27th of February. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. The judge at Luton Crown Court dismissed Sheila Samford's claims. A homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he'll be to- he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. And in sport, Chelsea drew one all away to Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie last night. Right, 7.47 or thereabouts. Let's get the latest weather now. Here's Sarah Thornton. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Sarah? Sarah? Hello. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I, I can. I couldn't hear you. Oh, <laughs> I hear anything. Uh, how, how quick. Just we can hear you. Away you go, my dear. All right. Okay, lovely. Hello. Good morning to you. We started with some overnight rain first thing this morning, and now it's uh, largely starting to clear away from Beds, Hearts and Bucks. Still got a little bit of it. I can see some just over uh, Wellin, for instance, uh, Stevenage, Baldock, but it's largely clearing off towards the east. It's drying out now in Luton, Aylesbury, Wickham, and in fact, that's uh, the case for the next couple of hours, but then we've got some heavy showers to develop through the latter part of the morning and this afternoon. They'll be uh, heavy with some hail and thunder mixed in potentially. It will feel quite pleasant actually between the showers. Still quite breezy but highs of 9 Celsius and some good sunny spells and then it's all change really from tomorrow. Tonight we're going to have some dry clear weather. Temperatures falling away but by tomorrow morning more wet weather moving towards us from the southwest. An area of low pressure spinning across us tomorrow and for some of us it looks like we've got uh, the potential for some sleet and snow mixed in. Yes! Yes! 
over higher ground, particularly that's where you're going to see that more likely. Buckinghamshire not in the weather warning for tomorrow, but Beds and Hearts both are in a snow weather warning area from the Met Office. A yellow warning, the lowest tier uh, for tomorrow morning because there'll be some sleet or uh, slushy deposits as we go through the morning rush hour with that coming in. It is a mix, though, of rain, sleet and a little bit of snow over higher ground. It'll be with us on and off, actually, through much of the day. Expect it again as we go through the evening commute as that spins off towards the east. And then through the weekend, a chillier feel to things. Uh, some showers around on Saturday. Again, it could be some wintry weather mixed in with those showers. <laughs> a winter wonderland it will not be, but we could have some disruption through tomorrow morning's commute from that wintry weather. Sarah, thank you. All oh, the talk of slushy deposits has got me all excited. Bring it on. And that was part of the BBC Three Counties Big Tour. And we're currently in the middle of our big tour. During the big tour, we've been to Welling. I'm here at the Herb Garden in Wolverton as part of the BBC Three Counties Radio Big Tour. Big Tour. Big Tour. Big Tour. Big Tour. The BBC Three Counties Radio Big Tour of Beds, Hearts and Bucks is coming back. This is BBC Three Counties Radio live in Leighton Buzzard. We're in the library. Come and say hello. Back to where you live. I think it's a fabulous old town. It's got heart. It's got character. The Big Tour of Beds, Hearts and Bucks. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I had a text from Pat saying that we should be talking uh, about the Lee Rigby killers. Michael uh, Adabalajo uh, and Adabawale. One was sentenced to a minimum of 45 years, the other sentenced to life. They're probably got, one is definitely going to die in prison. There's a strong chance the other might do as well. Well, I, I, I don't know what there is to say about it. What do we say about it? Uh, uh, i tell you what we'll do. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Should we be talking about Lee Rigby and uh, the murderers and the sentence? I don't think there's a lot to say about it. But if you think we should, if you think we are letting you down as a news provider, 08459 455555. The EDL were uh, camped out outside the courtroom yesterday, weren't they, calling for the death penalty to be, to be reinstated? Oh, well, who cares what those idiots think? Uh, Steve has emailed in, I quite agree not to discuss this at length. These animals want publicity, so the best thing to do now is to forget about them permanently. It's a good point. Stephen, what do you reckon? I agree with him totally. Don't mention their names on the radio ever again. Tell me why. Because they're scum. We don't want to know about them. We just, you know... And people who say that they should bring the death penalty for those two, they're completely and utterly wrong. You give them the death penalty and they have won. That's what they want. They become martyrs. Exactly. They're dying in battle. Yes. Yes. So... They should, they should spend their life in prison and hopefully then occasionally they may bump into a wall or something or fall down the stairs or something nasty. It's like a big story. Thing. Of course, it's a huge story. And, and people have been saying, oh, you've not been... T- BBC bias, you've not been talking about it while it's been going on. Well, it's, it, it's difficult to speak about open cases. And it's on the front page of, of uh, a lot of the newspapers, not all of them. I don't know what else there is to say. Steve, I don't, I don't know what... Pat wants me to talk about it. I don't know what to say about it. No, we don't, we don't want to mention their names ever again. We want to forget they ever existed. And pity they did, it didn't exist or, you know, they just... They don't need to be mentioned. We don't want to know about them. We mm. only want to know about them if they, if they get hurt in prison. That'll be, that'll be nice, but... Stephen, so. thank you very much indeed. I'm, I'm not a fan, necessarily, of the, um, the in-house justice that's m- meted out in prison... You hear about Ian Huntley getting attacked. I, I, 
you know, these people are scum. I, I don't, I don't, nec- I don't really approve of that kind of stuff. I don't really, but it happens, it happens. Okay, I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to go home and cry about it, but I, I don't really approve of that kind of stuff. I'll put it over to you. You can be the producers for the last hour and ten minutes of the show. Lee Rigby, his killers, do you want to talk about that? And if so, what do you want to say about it? It's not part of the running order. It's not part of our itinerary today. It can be if you want it to be. Oh, wait, 459 four double five five double five. Should we have some good news? Why, why the heck not? Good news as well about what? Bedford Hospital rubs his eyes in disbelief, chucks away his uh, half-empty wine bottle. What? Bedford Hospital has been at the centre of uh, criticism from the Care Quality Commission and a campaigner's angry at its decision to suspend children's services last summer. Well, most services are back. And now Bedford has come up smelling of roses in the annual NHS staff survey, scoring above the national average for the way it supports, listens and trains its staff. Well, I've spoken to, spoken to the uh, hospital's chief executive, Stephen Conroy, before. It's not always been uh, particularly pleasant for either of us. But this morning, Stephen, I, I guess I have to congratulate you. This is great news, isn't it? Hello, Ian. Yes, thanks very much. I think it is great news. I mean, our staff... Uh, you know, really make the hospital make the difference to patients, and it, it's good for us to know through the survey that, that we're supporting them, uh, and that they're, they're feeling good about their job in the, in the most part. When we spoke, I don't even remember when it was in that car park outside the hospital. Uh, it was a very, very different story. How have you managed to turn this around? Uh, well, well we, we've done a lot of work with staff, and that was that was back in June, I think. Uh, it was certainly a hot, sunny day. It was a nice day, yeah, lovely. Uh, um, we had a real dip in staff morale, as you might expect, and by by August, when we had the CQC report as well, I mean staff were feeling pretty glum, uh, and you know the press reports weren't weren't positive for us. Um, we started to do a lot of work in in August and September, planning with the staff, working out what we needed to do, how we could improve services for patients, uh, put in new systems, had made daily matron meetings looking at how patients are doing on the ward what the staffing levels are like uh, we brought in the, the spanish nurses um, and we've done lots and lots of work about improving services for patients um, so, so i think we've turned staff morale around we, we were we were very i was very pleasantly surprised by this survey result because it it took place in september and october last year and that was only just when we were, we were turning things around and i think things have got even better since then um, but it's a great benchmark and, and really good news for us. Uh, I guess onwards and upwards is the aim. You, you, you hope to c- continue this upwards trend now? We do. We, we, we'll get a further um, rating. The CQC rates all um, NHS hospitals twice a year now, I think. Um, you know, last summer we were in band four. Uh, that's four out of six. Six is good. Um, and we're hoping to maintain or improve on that. We'll, we'll know about that. Uh, in the next few weeks. So I think we have plans to improve the quality. Uh, and one thing that makes sure that we provide good quality for patients is having staff that are happy and committed. Uh, and it certainly shows in the, in the survey that staff feel supported by their managers and that they're committed. Um, yeah, we've got staff working extra, extra hours, uh, which seems as a bad thing in some ways, but staff tell us they're very happy working here and, and they're less stressed than they are in, in other hospitals around the country. So, um, you know, the commitment of staff putting in extra hours for, for patients, I think, is fantastic, and I'm very proud that they do that. Stephen, the thing that, that kind of kicked it all off for us was uh, the uh, removal of some, some children's services. Where are we at now in, in children's services coming back? So all the children's services are back. Uh, the only exception, I think, about that is the 
children who have mental health problems who, who used to be admitted to the ward on a temporary basis and now go straight to a proper mental health facility. Uh, you know, that's a very small number, but all the acute hospital services are, are back and have been back since the, the ambulance has returned in uh, late January, early January, middle but, January. But have you got enough trainee doctors in the paediatric department now? Uh, we haven't at the moment. We've, we, we're st- we've got enough consultants. Um, and we're, we're recruiting those this week and, and next to, to make sure that we've got permanent consultants, but we've got enough NHS consultants in place. Some of the juniors posts are still uh, missing, and we, we are backfilling those with middle-grade doctors. So that's costing us some money, but we are making sure we're fully staffed. Now, we're expecting a... a visit back from the General Medical Council that they're the ones who award uh, teaching status, if you like, uh, around uh, junior doctors. They'll be coming back to us in April uh, and we would hope to pass that, that inspection and have the junior doctors back later in the, in the year. Well, Stephen, it's great to have you on for some good news and congratulations. Thanks, Ian. It's a pleasure to come on for some good news. Yeah, uh, yeah I, bet, I bet it's better than last, <laughs> last June for you. Thank you very much and keep up the good work. Will do. Thanks very much. There you go, you see. There you go, you see. That's great. He was in a terrible position. The hospital was a mess. And it's been turned around. I would say a lot of it is down to to Stephen Conroy. And fair play to him. He comes on, whether it's good or bad news, he comes on and he talks about it. So well done. Thank you for that. Uh, We've got some texts here talking about uh, Lee Rigby. Um, Ian, I can't believe people still support capital punishment in 2014. As far as, as far as I'm aware, it's just as expensive to put them to death as it is to keep them in prison. Besides which, state-sanctioned murder and an eye-for-an-eye society are not right and not somewhere I want to live. Also, as Touchstone, I believe it's an easy way for the guilty party and a huge injustice not worth risking even once for the wrongly convicted. I had uh, oh, I had this text ready to, to call in, to send in, uh, and then I heard the previous lady, Helen Milton Keynes, and now I'm in tears, as I suspect others are. Um, Chris is in Milton Keynes. Thank you for that, Chris. Nick says, The two scum that killed Lee Rigby will never be able to feel the sun on their skin or attend any happy family gathering, enjoy a relationship, have children of their own, pop to the shops, and they'll always be looking over their shoulder. Their every move will be watched until they die. Shame in it. And Phil says, There are two reasons why the person saying Lee Rigby's killer should hang is wrong. Firstly, we don't have the death penalty in this country. And secondly, they would become martyrs to their cause and inspire, uh, inspire others to follow their actions. We weren't going to talk about Lee Rigby. We weren't going to talk about the two fellas that uh, murdered him. Should we be? You're producing the last hour of the show. 08459 455 555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. On the M25, anti-clockwise, things looking slow between Junction 20 for Kings Langley and 16 for the M40. And in Kings Langley itself, queues on the A41 approaching the M25 from the Hemel Hempstead turn-off. Also the A1M southbound looking slow between Junction 9 for Letchworth and 7 for Stevenage. The A5 southbound very slow through Mark Yate this morning. Public transport looking good, though. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Alice. The next hour of the show, when is it right to give kids pocket money? Is four too young? Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
It's eight o'clock, I'm Simon Oxley. The headlines, murder of Milton Keynes' husband was not mercy killing. HS2 campaigners to hand in letter at number 10 and Hemel Hempstead residents still waiting to go home. BBC Three Counties Radio. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. Dismissing her claims, the judge at Luton Crown Court said Sheila Samford robbed her husband of the chance to say goodbye to his daughter. Dr Andrew Ferguson is from the Care Not Killing Alliance, which is opposed to assisted death. We do need a a law there to tell us how much we uh, value life and to take away the temptation from people's minds. People's hearts may say yes, but their heads have got to say no to them. Um, Yes, I think this is, as I say, uh, an example of where the law on homicide has worked. I'm not sure the judge bought the argument this was anything to do with euthanasia at all. Environmental campaigners say extending a tunnel through the Chilterns could save a third of the ancient woodland that's under threat from the HS2 high-speed rail project. They're handing a letter to the Prime Minister today asking him to intervene. More from Carol Abercrombie. The environmental groups say the current proposal for HS2 has the tunnel emerging in the middle of the ancient woodland Mantles Wood in an area of outstanding natural beauty. They want it extended through the whole of the Chilterns. They claim the proposal has been confirmed as technically feasible but ruled out on the grounds of cost. They say the estimated extra cost of £200 million is justified. Major redevelopment at the National Bowl in Milton Keynes has moved a step closer with £26 million plans for the UK's largest in indoor water park and a sports village. Milton Keynes Development Partnership has granted Moray Capital preferred bidder status for the project which would create 650 new jobs. Investment is also planned for the Bowl Arena, meaning more events and concerts. A homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Leighton Buzzard says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. David Ketley, who lives in Oatridge Gardens, has been living in a hotel since the hole appeared on the 15th of February. On one hand, uh... The general feeling is that we're all very annoyed. A lot of people just want to go back to their homes. They want to be in their own beds. Um, at the same time, we understand that, that there is a new gas line which may need to go in. Even if they need to reconnect the old gas line, that could be prob- problematic. Um, we just want to be safe. A man has been seriously injured after being hit and then attacked with a wine bottle during a break-in at his home in Blunham in Bedfordshire in the early hours of yesterday morning. Two men broke into the house in Grange Road at around 1am as they left with cash the 51-year-old managed to hit one of the robbers over the head with a torch. The House of Commons Speaker and Buckingham MP John Burko is to be the new Chancellor of the University of Bedfordshire. Mr Burko will formally take up the position in June and will represent the university on special occasions and confer degrees at graduation ceremonies. In sport, Luton manager John Still and leading scorer Andre Gray have won the Conference Manager and Player of the Month awards for February. The weather, rain clearing east this morning to leave a mixture of sunshine and showers, a maximum Maximum temperature 10 degrees Celsius and you can get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I've just had a look outside. It's grim. Oh, it's grey and it's wet and it's miserable. Awful. Lots to talk about this morning, including the judge dismisses the mercy-killing defence... Sinkhole neighbours are stuck in hotels for another fortnight. We're talking about what age should you give kids pocket money. And also, you can produce the last hour of the show to a certain extent. We weren't going to talk about Lee Rigby. 
we weren't going to talk about his killers. I don't know what else there is to say, to be honest. They've been sentenced to 45 years and life. I wasn't going to talk about it. I, I don't have anything to say on it, really. Have we missed a trick here? Should we be talking about it? Pat texted in and was, was angry that we weren't mentioning it. So, over to you. Apart from the clichés and the obvious things, what is there to say about it? Do you want to talk about it or do you want to not? It's up to you. How do you get in touch? Well, you can go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR. Or the best way to do these things is what I keep saying, and you're, you're coming round, you're learning. Give me a phone call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. A judge has dismissed a Milton Keynes woman's claim that she murdered her husband in an act of mercy. 83-year-old leukaemia sufferer John Samford was found dead at his home in Bancroft Park last July. His 75-year-old wife, Sheila, told police she killed him to end his suffering. Well, the truth, according to the judge who sentenced her to life yesterday, was she'd snapped under the pressure. Well, Michael Irwin is the uh, coordinator of the Society for Old Age Rational Suicide, which campaigns for doctor-assisted suicide. Morning, Michael. Uh, We've heard the argument that that cases like this, the Samford shows, we can't have any relaxation on the rules of assisted suicide. Uh, Good morning. Um, This is a very tragic situation that has happened, and I was quite horrified by the um, opinions of the judge. Why so? Well, if you went across to the continent, to the Netherlands, to Belgium, Luxembourg, or Switzerland, if you had a situation like this, if you had someone like John in his 80s who was suffering from a medical, serious medical problem, and he was mentally competent, then the doctors in those four European countries would be able to give him a dignified death, either by giving him some uh, lethal substance to swallow or by giving him a lethal injection. It happens there with good guidelines. Why shouldn't it happen here? I guess that the, the problem with this case is that the judge didn't believe uh, Mrs. Sampford. She didn't believe he didn't believe that it was a mercy killing. Uh, it, he claims that that she snapped and it was it was a murder. Um, that is very likely the case. I've not been able to follow the, what happened in the court, um, but I would have thought from what has just been mentioned that it would be more likely if she suddenly snapped, more likely a, a possibility of manslaughter rather than premeditated murder. Why is uh, SOARS, the Society for Old Age Rational Suicide, different from other right-to-die groups? Well, the, the main organisation in this country, um, uh, Dying with Dignity, campaigns to help the terminally ill people, people likely to die in six months, a very important um, group of individuals who are suffering for you know, a few days, weeks or months before they die. However, other people, uh, like myself, feel that either severely terminally ill or severely disabled people, like, remember, Tony Nicholson, who was a locked-in syndrome for several mm. years, or very elderly people, people in their 80s, who are kind of getting near to the end of their natural lives, that they should be also thought of as people who might uh, turn to doctors to help them for a quicker exit from this world. 
And for that reason, um, SOARS, the Society of Old Age Rational Suicide, was established about four years ago. And it was based upon a um, statement that was made by the um, European Court of Human Rights, a very short statement, but I'd like to just quickly read it to you. It says, quote, in an era of growing medical sophistication combined with longer life expectancies, many people are concerned that they should not be forced to linger on in old age or in states of advanced physical or mental decrepitude which conflict with strongly held ideas of self and personal identity. End quote. People who are elderly, I mean, I'm going to be 83 in June. I have a few medical problems, but I can't expect many more natural years to my life. So you should be allowed to kill yourself just because you're old? No, because if I, I'm not yet suffering, but if I was suffering unbearably, like this poor okay. man John was suffering, um, and if I was mentally competent, and if I was in these four other European countries I've mentioned, I could turn to a compassionate doctor who would help me to end my life. So you're campaigning that, that elderly people should be allowed to end their life if they're ill, not just because they're old. But nothing to do with age per se, but they must right. have serious medical problems okay. and be suffering unbearably. And we've done various polls, ICM, which does a good um, poll of, uh, for uh, Channel 4 News and for The Guardian. They've done several opinion polls, national opinion polls for us. The last one was in March of last year of 1,002 adults. And they found that 70% of people they polled throughout the UK agreed with this possibility of legalised old age rational suicide. Is there any danger that LD people will be ending their lives, not to avoid suffering, but because they perceive themselves to be a burden on society or the rest of their family? There is that possibility. How would you police that? Well, in addition to having, say, two physicians, and one of whom should be a consultant in old age and geriatrics, in addition to two doctors um, questioning the individual concern, making certain they're mentally competent and they have serious medical problems, you'd also have to have the individual, the elderly person, be interviewed by some independent legal witness who's experienced in family matters to ensure that they are acting on their own free will, that not being pressured by relatives or by friends to seek the kind of a solution in this way. And that's what happens, as I say, in these other European countries. And there had to be a kind of a waiting period, say a matter of a month or so, between making the initial request and then that person being provided with the um, necessary medication. I really appreciate your time this morning, Michael. It's certainly given us something to think about. Michael Irwin, coordinator of the Society for Old Age Rational Suicide, SOARS. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that uh, assisted suicide, should it be down to the family or, or should it be left to the medical profession? Adele's in Bushy. Good morning, Adele. Hi, good morning, Ian. What, what would you like to say? Thanks for taking my call. Well, I heard you speak about your father and it, it brought back memories of, of my mother. My mother um, also, she suffered from cancer. She actually suffered for 12 years and the last four months of her life, um, I mean, she had no quality of life, to be honest. She was in a hospital general hospital on a general ward because she was actually too ill for a hospice um, too ill she, for a hospice yeah they the, wouldn't take her into a hospice oh. she needed blood transfusion oh okay so she needed a lot of medical treatment okay, yeah, yeah but she was she she was always she never sort of she was always uh, you know she was at her, her mind and she never lost any of that yeah just sort of physically really and i used to sit there day in day out you know get the calls from work and have to go there and the last week of her her life I mean, she was sleeping most of the time, and the curtain was pulled round, and it was it was grim, and uh, it was grey out. And I remember thinking, looking at her, and thinking, I could just 
put the pillow over your head mm. now. No one would know. The curtain would, no one would have known. And, I, and my, then my sensible brain came out, and I thought, I just can't do it. I just love her too much, and I couldn't ever, ever live with that guilt, ever. Um, and, and the other thing is, and I didn't, um, and um, it, it was awful, it was awful, but I'm, I'm glad that my sensible brain went over. But the other thing is, I'm a very optimistic person like my mother, and we always sort of, she always believed where there was life, there was hope. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think I've forgotten what I was going to say now. <laughs> no, that's that fine. No, you've got a lot to say. That. Did you feel guilty at all for that thought crossing your mind? Oh, God, yeah, I felt guilty at thinking it. Yeah. And, but uh, oh, oh, that was the other thing I was going to say. Because I thought it, and I loved my mother so much, and I knew she was going to die within days. I wasn't stupid. I understood that. But I still couldn't do it. I was thinking if it was easy for me to think that, and, okay, I, I didn't. What about these people? Are there going to be... So many people murdering. I think it would be easy to do, mm. um, and yeah, I'm, I'm against it basically. I, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't know. Adele, thank you very much. I had a chat with my mum about it once couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, because she's not very well, and uh, she brought it up. And she said, oh, I was talking to uh, my friend about, um, you know, th- th- maybe ending it all and, uh, you know, whether I wanted to carry on like this. That was very honest of her. And I said, oh, well, what, what conclusion did she come to? And she made the decision that she wanted to carry on, that she was going to carry on. Well done. If she'd have said otherwise, I would, I would have uh, probably helped her in some way. I would have helped her in some way. If that was her decision... I would have helped her. If my dad had said in the last six weeks of his life, uh, this isn't working, I want to get out quicker, I would have helped him. Now, is it fair that that, that responsibility be placed on the, the shoulders of a family member? Surely, surely we do need to change things slightly so that responsibility can be handed over to the medical profession, more so than the family. So there is uh, a, a, a sense of... You know, people ticking boxes and people... What's the word I'm trying to think Checks of? and balances. Checks and balances. Thank you very much indeed. People making sure that the right thing is being done for the right reason. Well, and also then a family member is not left to deal with the consequences. Yeah. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. I don't think we've particularly had any more phone calls wishing to discuss Lee Rigby. Have we? Have we had... Uh... We had any people calling in saying that that's what they want to talk We've about? We've had a couple. Have we had a couple? Well, then, if they want to come on, then let's put them on. If they want to come on... The last 45 minutes of the show... We've got some bits and pieces coming up. We'll speak to Justin as well in a bit about pocket money. But the, the, the last 45 minutes is kind of in your hands. Wasn't going to talk about Lee Rigby. Wasn't going to talk about Michael's Adebolajo and Adebowale. We had a complaint on the text from Pat that we weren't talking about it. So... What do you want to say? What is there to say? I can't think of anything to say, really. If, it, if you're just going to phone up with the same old arguments, oh, bring back the death penalty, oh, they should hang. I mean, we can do that, but where does that get us? 08459 555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The A5 is partially blocked between Bletchley and Hockliffe after an accident. Queues in both directions on their approaches. And the A40 queuing heading towards London between the Denham Roundabout and Gypsy Corner. 
at the Black Cat roundabout. There are delays on the A1 between Eaton Soken and the roundabout. And on the M1, things are very slow between Junction 10 for Luton and the Kidneywood roundabout just through the roadworks there. The M25 anti-clockwise slow going between Junction 20 for the Kings Langley and 16 for the M40. Public transport has no reported problems. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Alice. Excellent stuff as always. 8.16, Thursday the 27th of February. It's nearly the weekend. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. A homeowner whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. And in sport, Luton manager John Still and leading scorer Andre Gray have won the Conference Manager and Player of the Month awards for February. Congratulations, guys. Great work. The weather today, rain clearing this morning. The day will then be bright, chilly with a few showers. Maximum temperature is 10 degrees. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday morning. The shop didn't want to give me them back, so I went to the shop, paid them a fee to get my cylinders back. The JVS Show fights for your rights and tackles your consumer problems. I went to speak to this company and I asked them what had happened. It took me absolutely ages to get through to anyone. If you need our help, email jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. After I left discussion about my cylinders, the, the governing body showed up at my house on the following day. And we could do the same for you. Thanks, Denise. And for the company for getting her cooker back up and running, here's your horn. The JVS Show, weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, JVS normally pops in about now. He's not this week. He's coming in just after half past. He'll pop in just after half past eight to tell us what is happening on his show. So, uh, fear ye not. The reason uh, we've uh, postponed him slightly is because it's the BBC's coverage of the centenary of the First World War. We're doing it every morning this week, just uh, around about now. And we're looking at the role that local people and places in the three counties played as part of the war effort. Well, today it's the turn of Hertfordshire's scouts. Two days after war was declared, scouts in St Albans were the first in Britain to organise themselves into a 24-hour home service rota. Our uh, reporter and colleague Tara Gungafall has been to the 4th St Albans Scout Group where the boys tell the story of what happened for themselves. Triple A. Tonight's law. Tonight's law is law number one. A scout is to be trusted. I have promised. I have promised. promised. Adam, Lewis, Owen... We're from the 4th St Albans Scout Group. As soon as war was declared, there was a meeting of our commissioners in Hertfordshire to discuss how scouts could help in the war effort at home. The scout historian Frank Brittain knows exactly why Hertfordshire was the first county to be prepared in this way. Charles Dimmock Green Senior, who was the district commissioner of St Albans, and Percy Everett, the county commissioner, were both very close working with Baden Powell, the founder. So they knew in advance what was happening and they were prepared to mobilise the scouts and particularly St Albans who were the first people to be assembled and given instructions to be on 24-hour duty. By the 14th of August, ten days after war was declared, calls for help started coming into the scout office on Holywell Hill with all requests written in a logbook. These are the orders as they came in. 11 o'clock. 
two scouts to Mr Mansell at Darfield Hall Place Gardens to take a bed in a track car to Brickett House. Now Brickett House was a hospital, a VAD hospital, voluntary aid detachment. So they probably had an appeal for furniture and people donated it so they'd ring up into this office and he would uh, send two boys off to go and get this bed. Three o'clock, hand cut to Mr Layton for article to Brickett House. 9.30am. One scout of some size to High Street Bank to carry gold. <laughs> like they'd trust us with that. So they're the sort of jobs, they're nothing special, but they were, all in the scheme of things, very important. If a scout was aged 14 or over and was no longer at school, they were expected to go to work in their uniform and be ready to be deployed at a moment's notice. It's a bit weird because at 14, you'd usually just be doing, like, teenagery stuff, like going to school, doing homework, that kind of thing. Yeah, and you don't even leave school till 18. Today's society isn't really, it's kind of jokey. Like back then there was the need, because England was at war, you needed to be serious. It wasn't a joke, it wasn't a laugh, it was just like, this is war. I don't think people realise how important they were. We know that George Foxley, a Hertfordshire scout, was shown on the front page of the Times and other newspapers. He was the bugler sounding the all clear after the zeppelins had been over but uh, it was quite dramatic george foxley was a member of our scout group the full st albans my name is tom and i'm the only uh, person who plays brass instrument in our group i've never done an all clear before but here goes <laughs> Powerful stuff. If you'd like to find out more about our local stories from World War One at home, then click on bbc.co.uk slash WW1, the number one. Uh, tomorrow at the same time, we'll hear about the changing role of RAF Halton. And well done to Tara Gungafall for putting all of that together. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a group of neighbours forced out of their homes when a sinkhole appeared in Hemel have been told it could be another two weeks or more before they can go back. A 35 feet wide hole opened up in Oatridge Gardens on Saturday, February the 15th. It was filled in with concrete six days ago and yet people are still sleeping in hotels. Well, David Bogle is the Chief Executive of Hightown Praetorian and Churches Housing Association. Morning, David. Morning, Ian. David, are you, are you happy with the length of time it's taking people to get back into their homes? Well, I think we need to be sure about the, um, the ground conditions and the stability of the properties, and that's why uh, probing is being carried out Ooh. throughout the estate. Um, we were hoping to have more than one rig doing the probing, but at the moment we've only got one. We're hoping to have two arriving shortly, um, and we're basically doing probe holes all over the whole estate. What does probing sure do, David? Know. What exactly does it tell you? Well, it tells you the ground conditions right down to 15 metres down, and uh, because the sinkhole has opened up, obviously we want to be absolutely sure that the, the ground is stable and then, then take any remedial work 
um, on the estate to reassure people about the safety. We spoke to a chap called David earlier on who uh, owns half of his house, the other half is owned by the uh, Housing Association. Uh, yep. He's in the middle, towards the end, of selling it. Yeah. Uh, how do you think that, that this sinkhole will affect people like David? Are, are, are people going to get mortgages on these houses? Are people going to want to move there? Well, obviously there's a temporary disruption in the housing market around that area because of the sinkhole we've got to ask uh, homeowners to be patient once the work once the the probing has been completed and any remedial works are, have been carried out then we very much hope and expect the market to return back to normal again in that area and Pe- then people can sell and buy and sell property be honest david you wouldn't want to buy a house there would you well, well, actually, you know, I mean, how many people, when they buy a house, have a full ground survey carried out? Well, uh, in this case, in this, in this, on this estate, potential purchasers will have absolutely, you know, comprehensive information about the ground conditions there. So they'll be in a better position than than most people in the country. They'll be in a better position to go. Hang on, is that the street with the sinkhole in? Have you got anywhere else? That's what that's what most people would do, wouldn't they? If they found out that a huge crater had appeared. Well, I think if it's been remediated and, and the hole's been filled in, which it already has been, then, then they can have confidence that uh, the property is safe. And, and as I say, more confidence than, than most people have when they're buying and selling a property. When do you think it'll be, uh, everything will be finalised, everything will be finished, you, you, you'll have done all your probing, the gas will have been reconnected? We're hearing two weeks, we're hearing a month, we're hearing it could be even more than a month. Well, uh, you know, we're in the hands of the people who are doing the probing, but I'm hoping very much that we'll have some preliminary results by Monday about what they found and and anything that needs doing, and that will then reassure the gas Mm. board, which will enable them to reconnect the gas. And that will mean that the majority of the the properties, uh, people can come back and live in the majority of the properties on the estate. Who's responsible for looking after people like David and other families affected by this? Is it, is it you? Is it the insurance company? Who's calling the shots here, David? Well, obviously, they are homeowners, but we, we take out the insurance. We're the, the freeholders of the estate. We've taken out the insurance on behalf of the estate. And the insurance company, I think, have, have moved very quickly, not only to take the action uh, to fill in the uh, hole and do mm-hmm. the probing around the state, but also to put people into hotels who couldn't, couldn't stay with friends and families. And, and people who, uh, whose properties were directly affected by the sinkhole, they're looking at long-term, more long-term accommodation for them uh, in, in, um, in the private sector. Do you think that they'll be probing uh, for the next week or so in Oak Ridge, Oak Ridge Gardens? Well, uh, again, it depends on how many rigs we can get there to do the probing. I mean, you know, we were hoping that it would be finished uh, by Monday, but, uh, you know, it depends how many rigs we have finally there, because I want to make sure that all the, the whole estate is probed. So you want to get as much probing done as quickly as you can, and Absolutely. then you can start getting people back into their homes. Absolutely, and the gas board, will, you know, hopefully will connect the gas, people can get back, and we can go into the, the homes that are directly affected by the hole to look at the structural condition and, and, and see what remedial works are needed. David, maybe we could have a little chat when uh, you get the results of those probes back. Yes, absolutely. It'll be good to find out what's happening. Thank you very much for your time. David Bogle is uh, the Chief Executive of Hightown Praetorian and Churches Housing Association. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots, Lots of texts and emails. Let's have a look at the Facebook page. 
Uh, talking about pocket money, when is the, when we'll speak to Justin Dealey about that after half past eight. When is the right time to start giving kids pocket money? My four-year-old gets a little bit, your five-year-old doesn't. No, she just does the chores because she should. Michael says, Catherine's approach is better, as it shows her girls that you should help around the home. Of course, that goes for boys as well, without expecting a reward in money form at such a young age, young age. But what do I really know? Things have changed a lot since I was a young parent. I think he means, what do I know? Oh, it's OK. But what do I really know? Things have changed a lot since I was a young parent. Did I get it right then? Yeah. OK. Well done. Robs, thank you. Do I get any money for that? No, you get praise. Ah, again, praise from other people instead of being able to generate it myself. That makes me needy and dependent on others. OK, right. A people pleaser. OK, fine. Rob says, give, which is a healthy thing to be. Not. Get on with it. Rob says, giving children money for chores gets them in the mindset of working for money. Not. Yes, Rob. Not like today's scroungers that suck off the benefit system. <laughs> Come on. I'm, reading, I'm going to read Rob's text again. It's, it makes a good point because he agrees with me. Rob Willett says on Facebook, giving children money for chores gets them in the mindset of working for money. Not like today's scroungers that suck off the benefit system. He makes a really good okay, point. OK, read the other comments, please. I, I can't see any other comments. I can. Those, shall, I, shall I help you? You go on. OK. <laughs> Flip, please. Teaching kids to appreciate the value of money is very important, says Rain Helen Rickett-Brown. My son receives pennies, yes, pennies, because he's two, for his penny pot from his grandparents. Stop it. And that's OK. But I will be teaching him that his toys aren't free. Uh, and we also have this one. Uh, Mary Lulu, I used to help round the house because it was the right thing to do, not for money, and in fact I wasn't given any money. Do you want to read Rob's Facebook comment again? No. You don't want to do it? No, I You don't want to do it in a Spanish accent? Probably not. OK. <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. We've had an update in from Pamela. The A5 is partially blocked between Bletchley and Hockliffe. That's near the Flying Fox roundabout. And it's actually a broken down bus, not an accident. But it is still causing queues in both directions. In Hitchin, there are queues on the A505. That's Payne's Park. Uh, they're back to both approaches to the Wibbly Wobbly Lane. So that's on the A505 and also the uh, route on the other side of the road. In Amersham, there are queues on the A413 from Little Missenden as you approach Coles Hill. And the N25 anti-clockwise delays starting to ease but still slow between Junction 18 for Chorleywood and 16 for the M40. Public transport has no reported problems. I'm Alice Gloss at BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 8.30, I'm Simon Oxley, a 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. Environmental campaigners say extending a tunnel through the Chilterns could save a third of the ancient woodland that's under threat from the HS2 high-speed rail project. Major redevelopment at the National Bowl in Milton Keynes has moved a step closer with £26 million plans for the UK's largest indoor water park and a sports village. And a home whose property was affected by a sinkhole which appeared in Hemel Hempstead says he's been told it'll be nearly a month before he can return home. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Chelsea drew one all away to Turkish side Galatasaray in the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie last night after taking an early lead through Fernando Torres. His manager Jose Mourinho. 
Some other teams, they have three chances, they score three goals. We have five, we score one. This is not a critic to the strikers, like sometimes people think. It's just in this moment the profile of team we have. We create, but we arrive in, in the last third of the pitch, and the last decision, the correct pass, the right movement, is something that in this moment... We are not yet a team that kills opponents. In last night's other tie, Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo both scored twice as Real Madrid won 6-1 away to the German side Schalke. Luton manager John Still and leading scorer Andre Gray have won the Conference Manager and Player of the Month awards for February. Still says Gray and his fellow front players have been on top form. You know, To be fair, our attacking four are a handful. Jake Howells, I think, is playing... You know, if he's ever played better at this club, he must have been some player because I think he's been absolutely terrific at the moment. I really do. Uh, Andre keeps scoring goals. Benno is absolutely top, top drawer. And Gat, so, you know, we're, 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 we're attacking really well. Bedford Rugby Club have signed England under-20 second-row forward Harry Wells on loan from Leicester. It follows a neck injury to Ben Gulliver. England cricketer Jonathan Trott is set to make his comeback for Warwickshire in April. The batsman left the Ashes Tour of Australia in December with a stress-related illness. And the world champion Red Bull Formula One team are to get the freedom of Milton Keynes. The status will be confirmed at a special council meeting next month. BBC Three Counties News and Sport. The next full bulletin is at nine. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Trying to, Jonathan's here now, just for this week. He's popping in at eight, just after 8.30 to tell us what's happening on his show. It's because we're doing the, the whole World War One stuff that, that Tara has put together and has put together excellently. And I'm trying to think, there was something on your consumer hour yesterday, which is, is I love, it's my favourite hour of radio, anywhere. And there was something that was, was, was really making me chuckle. And surprisingly, it wasn't the uh, man with the, uh, the bedroom toys. No, although I, th- I think we are talking about that case today. Don't talk about it on my show. I've got young ears listening, you filthy... Uh, 11 o'clock, fine. Well, we can't say what it is. No. All we can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, no. is it's got eight speeds. Oh, £120. Wowzers. That's incredible. Got a lot of money to toss around. I, uh, huh? I looked at a picture of it. I've, I wouldn't even... I mean, what do you... <laughs> don't, don't, don't. We've got young ears listening. But there was something... So, it's so naughty. Uh, it was something on yesterday's... It's going to bug me now, Consumer Hour. Oh, Can you give us a clue? I mean... It was probably some old person whinging about something. I'm guessing. Does right. that narrow it down at all? Uh, oh, was it uh, the lady with the call blocker? Sylvia. Was it Sylvia? Lovely Sylvia. <laughs> yes, it was. And you, she, she spent... Seven, and, and fair play to the company. She spent 79 quid on a call blocker. Yes. She didn't think she was going to spend that much. Uh, and they said to you, we'll refund the money and we'll send her the call blocker as and well. she was happy to get something for free. She was happy to get that for free. And then you explained how it worked. And it doesn't sound like the greatest piece of kit that's out there. No, they kind of, they sell it as, uh, oh yeah, it will stop all those unwanted calls. Yeah. When you say, well, how does it work? It basically blocks all the calls from India. (laughs) So you can, your phone cannot receive any incoming calls from India. And their justification is, well, all these call centres, they're all based out in India, aren't they? Yeah. So you can just ban all calls. I said, yeah, but what about, you know, for example, if you bank with a certain company yep. and they have a call centre in India. BT you, call centres are in exactly, India. Exactly. They need to get hold of you urgently. They're, you, they're not going to be able to get through because you've blocked all the numbers from India. Or what? Or what? If, if you're an Indian and you might have family out in India 
Yeah, but presumably then you you wouldn't activate. Oh, it, so, would you? I mean, so if you know you've got oh, loads of calls coming from right. India. So that so it's it's racist then, is it? Because well, you Indians, can select which country. But Indians block. Indians don't get blighted <laughs> by by calls from India, do the, the you know unwanted ones. And also uh, there was uh, um, oh, what was it? There was another point that came up that was very pertinent. Oh, they got in touch with her by cold calling her. Yes. Could you block them? No, calling you? no, because uh, they're based in England. <laughs> it was wonderful. Right, Excellent to enjoy. Thank you very much. Now, you're, what you're doing today is what I'm, I'm definitely not doing, unless people call in and say they want me to do it. Well, from nine this morning, I am doing it, and I'm asking, are you satisfied with the sentence given to the men who killed Lee Rigby? Michael Adebolajo has been given life in prison, and Michael Adebowale has been given a minimum term of 45 years for murdering drummer Lee Rigby. Adebolajo, who's 29, and Adebowale, who's 22, rammed into Fusilier Rigby with a car before hacking him to death on the streets of London in May of last year. Can you believe it's that long ago? Mm. Do you remember it like it was yesterday? Lee Rigby's family wept as the sentence was read out whilst one of the murderers was heard to shout Allah Akbar. Outside court, protesters marched with union flags, mock gallows and signs calling for the government to bring back capital punishment. Well, this morning from nine, I want your views on this. Are you satisfied with the sentence given to the men who killed Lee Rigby? I'll tell you my concern about it, Ian. Mm. Why haven't they both got a full life term? Mm. Because um, Michael Adebowale, he could be out at the age of 67 based yeah. on this term. Yep. Why, why weren't they both given a full life term? I mean, they were both in it together. Mm. They did it together. They planned it together. OK, one of them may have been the one that wielded the knife. Yes, they're, they're both equally responsible. They are both they? equally responsible, and they've shown absolutely no remorse mm. for what they've done. But I just wonder, a lot of people contacting me, I know people have contacted you yep, this morning as well. A lot of texts that I'll do before the end of the show. And have said, you know what, this is not, this is not on. Mm. This man, these, these two men, committed a hideous crime mm. against a young man who uh, has given himself up, really, to defend this country and to be a member of our armed forces. What they did to him was not only a dreadful thing to him and his family, but also to our country as well. We know without any realm of doubt that they are guilty because the video footage was there. There is no question. So with someone in a very exceptional case like this, with people who have done this, do we really want, as taxpayers, to pay for them to spend the rest of their life in prison? You know, a lot of people are saying, in this particular case, why could the death penalty we not have been them. brought back? We kill them, they've won. They're, they're martyrs. They, they're, they're not that's long what for they long, want. though, because everyone want, forget about them, No, they? they want to be martyrs. They want to be martyrs. They want to die in these situations, so they go and get their 20 virgins, and they go and hang out with Allah, and all of that stuff in their head. And it, that will then inspire other killers. Yes, there, there is, of course, that argument. There's also the other argument that if we, as taxpayers, are going to pay, what is it, £45,000 a year to keep mm. somebody in, in prison, chances are it will have to be a bit more for them because yep. they're going to be major targets in prison, so they're going to have to have a lot of protection while they're there for the rest of their lives. Well, certainly, Michael Adebolajo. But while they're in prison... Will they be trying to radicalise people who are in prison? Mm. You know, that happens as well. Could they be more dangerous if we keep them in prison? From nine this morning, I want your views on this. Are you satisfied with the sentence given to the men who killed Lee Rigby? 08459 455 555. 
Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got so many texts to get through. Janet, Ken, James, Lee, uh, Dad, sorry, everyone else. I'll, I will, I'll do them after a, a quarter to nine, OK? So don't, don't worry, I'm, I've got them and I will read as many of them uh, as I can. Be careful, I'm starting to sound a little bit like Wally Webb and that is not acceptable. Now, Catherine and I have been arguing this morning... You. Uh, about pocket money. My boy's four, her daughter's five. Who knows? Wouldn't it be lovely if they got married? Uh, not going to happen. OK. And yet I'm the only one who's been sensible enough to bring pocket money into the relationship in return for doing small jobs. And it's not a fortune. They get, they get, they get quid, something like that. Uh, she thinks they should just pull their weight without a monetary reward and they should be doing it so that she can make them feel good about themselves. I mean... Ugh. Justin, you don't want to, you're not going to come back or am I going to get a, a tongue lashing at the end of the show? No, I'm, I'm not arguing. Oh, you think that makes you a bit more superior, does it? Is that what you think? Oh, yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> very, very tense. At th- Ooh. It is. Ooh. Very tense at 3CR Towers this morning, mm. Justin. You've been talking to people, haven't you? What have they been saying? I have. Um, Ian, I've done this in two sections for you so you can compare the older generation and also young parents. Up first, here's what the older generation had to say about this. Madam, when do you think is the right age for children to start receiving pocket money? I think 15 or 16. That's a long wait for pocket money, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, 11. Uh, 11 years old? Yeah. yeah. They might know the value of money, mightn't they? While they're young, they don't know, do they? Just want, want, want all the time. So anything before 11 is just wrong? Yeah. I would have said when they understand money, five, six years old, when they first start school, um, they learn to understand what money means. Um, before then, no. I mean, to children younger than that, they just think it's coppers in their pocket and they just think it's fun. I mean, I think I was about 11 when I first got my first... Um, but that was for doing chores. Okay, so that was uh, some of the people. What did Mm. the others have to say? Well, in the last 30 minutes, I've been outside the Chapel Street Nursery in Lucent, in Lucent, talking to parents there. Um, And here's what those parents had to say. Um, I believe they should really start receiving about four or five years old when they start going to school and Mm -hmm. start to learn a bit more about the value of money, that sort of thing. But yeah, four four or five maybe, so yeah, yeah. And how old's your child? Uh, She's four. Yeah. How much do you think your child should be getting? If if your child's four right now, you know that their pocket money handout's coming. Uh, What do you think is is the right price? Um, I don't know, maybe five or so, maybe. A week? Uh, no, probably about a month or so, maybe, yeah, about a month. Callie, you've got a child who's almost two years old. When do you think you might start handing out pocket money to your child? I think the right age to hand out pocket money is when they know the value of it, otherwise they're just going to spend it on sweets and then their teeth will fall out. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> so, yeah, when they're of age and they understand that you have to work for it, when they can start doing chores mm-hmm. is when they get pocket money. Until then, I buy what you want. So when do you think that might be, then, for your child? When can you see your child doing the chores... To get the pocket money. Well, he helps me do the washing already. He gets his meal cap, puts the shopping away for me, he helps. So, about five. So, you're stitching him up at the moment, aren't you? <laughs> no, it's good to start them off early, otherwise, they don't understand how much hard work mummy has to do. He's working for free. He's not working for free, he gets cuddles. <laughs> so, at five years old, you think five's the right age? Yeah, because then they can start buying, if it, like girls can start buying the little makeups and nail polishes, and boys can buy their little cars and trinkets. So, yeah, fine. Okay, great stuff. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Justin, thank you very much. Listening in on that is uh, the author of Parenting Made Easy, Sue Atkins. Morning, Sue. Good morning. What do you reckon? When should we start giving uh, children pocket money? 
Well, I wrote a blog actually called The Pulling Power of Pocket Money, and it's age appropriate, you know, between four and seven, seven and 11, etc. Yeah. So people look that up, and that gives you some ideas. My thing is, children, I used to be a deputy head and class teacher for years and years, mm-hmm. and, you know, young children, um, year one, year two, they don't understand the value of money because they don't understand that even a 5p yeah. is worth five pennies. They think it's just one because, you know, they don't get the concept of money. So, also, the point I'd like to make is surely, when I work with loads of parents, I talk about the we team. I mean, not, you know, the oh. game, the WE. We are a team. We're oh. Team Atkins. We do things just because we're a team and we're a family. So, yeah. you, you know, you make your bed or you lay the table or you unpack the dishwasher or my son loved his job of emptying the bin. Um, and you just do that. Because that's what families do. They work together. Now, when they get a bit older, and my daughter was saving up for, you know, a camera or something, she used to wash the car and she'd do extra chores and that sort of thing. I wanted her to understand that when she was saving up, she was buying something for herself that she valued it and she took great care of her camera when she got it in the end. So there's a balancing act. But yeah. what, the other thing is, what are you teaching your children if you pay them to behave or pay them to do things at a certain age, that just strikes me as not quite appropriate. But you say that four, five, six-year-olds don't know the the value of money. That's why we should teach them at that age, because they can learn it and they can understand it. And it's not saying, right, if you do that job, I'm going to give you a quid, and if you do that, that job's worth two quid. It's they get a pound or one pound fifty at the end of the week, and it's uh, it's because they've helped and contributed to the living. And I understand, of course, you know, we're all a team and we all help out as well. But it, it, it shows them that they can be, in this society, you can be rewarded for good, helpful behaviour. Yes, and you don't have to get paid, though, do you? It's, it's a question of what value are you teaching your children? Because everything you do, you are teaching them something. So, you know, if that's one of your things, then that's one of your things. Not yeah. to tell you what to do. No. Um, but I do know that children don't, particularly when they're very young, understand the value of money. But playing oh, shops... I mean, you know, I used to do all that with my granddad, playing shops with the fridge and all that. And you learn money and you learn the value of it. And if it's one of your things that you pay them to do stuff, the only problem is when they get older, they go, well, I'm not going to do that because, you know, you're not paying me to do that. And you think... Oh, grief. Ah, That's well, that, you know. No, listen, we've introduced, we had to introduce a punishment last night. My eldest, the four-year-old, he, um, uh, Rui, he was going bonkers. I wish you'd been there last night, Sue, to help out. He was going bonkers. <laughs> and in a fit of rage, he, he damaged yeah. a very expensive piece of furniture, 70 quid. Right? Oh, God. I, I know he damaged it. And very calmly, I said, right, well, there are, there yeah. are going to be consequences, and you are going yeah. to be doing chores around the house, yeah. unpleasant chores, and you won't be yeah. getting any pocket money as well. Yeah. Well, that's good, isn't it? You've got consequences. Yeah, Everybody, consequences. As long as you've got your... Yeah, yeah it's, it is, because children need to learn, um, you know, if you do that, that will happen. And, yeah. it, you know, you can... And, you, and if you work out which way your child is motivated, and this is for everybody, they're either motivated towards something, like well, you're going to pay them, but I'd give them a sticker or we'd save up for, you know, whatever we'd be doing motivated away from so you don't go on the computer you miss your little tv program or you can't have your friend around to play on friday now because you you know you've damaged the, the settee so i think that's a good thing but if you work out which direction your child is motivated then you will find that their behavior improves drastically so we're out of time if people want to have a look at your blog where do they go they go to thesueatkins.com, and if they're looking for the pulling power of pocket money, you can Google that, the pulling power of pocket oh, money, Sue Atkins, and it'll come up, and it's got age-appropriate, all sorts of ideas around when it is appropriate and, you know, all of that sort of business. Sue, so, thank you very much indeed. Catherine, I want a word with you after this. Stitched up there, I was. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio.
The A5 is partially blocked between Bletchley and Hockliffe near to the Flying Fox roundabout by a broken down bus, causing queues in both directions there, and thanks to Pamela for phoning in with an update. In Hitchin, there are delays joining the A1M on the A602. And also the A1M itself still looking slow southbound between Junction 9 for Letchworth and 7 for Stevenage. In Kings Langley, there are queues on the A41 approaching the M25 from the Hemel Hempstead turnoff. But public transport still looking good with no reported problems. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. I feel I've been stitched up like a kipper. I'll have a word with you in a minute, Catherine Boyle. 47. It's Thursday the 27th of February. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A 75-year-old woman from Milton Keynes who claimed the murder of her terminally ill husband was a mercy killing is beginning a life sentence this morning. Environmental campaigners say extending a tunnel through the Chilterns could save a third of the ancient woodland that's under threat from the HS2 high-speed rail project. And in sport, Luton manager John Still and leading scorer Andre Gray have won the conference manager and player of the month awards for february let's get the weather beds hearts and bucks weather bbc three counties radio Yes, thanks very much indeed. We started with rain. It's cleared away now. We've got some sunshine starting to develop and we're at seven degrees just now. So we'll have some drier weather for a time and some sunshine, but then we've got some sharp showers to move right across the three counties through this afternoon with some hail and thunder mixed in. Top temperature between those nine degrees and quite a breezy westerly feel. Uh, Those showers will have some hail and thunder mixed in and band together at times. They will die away through this evening and overnight. We'll be dry and clear for a time that will allow temperatures to really fall away. But by tomorrow morning, we're seeing this wet weather system spinning in from the southwest, which is going to bring us some rain, sleet, and potentially a bit of snow. Yes. And that snow risk actually is mostly for beds and hearts. They're the two counties named in the Met Office's weather warning, a yellow warning. It's the lowest tier of warning for snow for tomorrow morning, uh, affecting things through rush hour. It's not so much that we're going to see so so much settling snow, uh, so much as uh, slushy deposits and potentially some disruption to your commute tomorrow morning. Certainly something to be aware of. Bucks not named in that at the moment. Uh, We'll continue with that on and off through the day, continuing into the afternoon and the evening rush hour too. So it's sleet and rain mixed together uh, over higher ground, the Chilterns, that's where you're likely to see a little bit of snow on the grass. And then it clears away tomorrow night. On Saturday some sharp showers around again, they could be a little bit wintry in nature. You're the best weather person we have, Sarah. Elizabeth Rizzini and the other losers know it's you all the way. You're number one. (laughs) Speak to you later. We'll talk again tomorrow. Thank you very much. Ta-ta. Ritzini would never give us good weather like that. Every weekday from three, why would anyone buy a mattress off the back of a van? Roberto Peroni. How do you keep a straight face? That is so funny. A professor from the University of Bedfordshire has followed in the footsteps of Indiana Jones. Weekdays from three, it's the family and lifestyle debate. Got an hour discussing business and finance. It's our politics panel discussing how politics affects us. Later in the show, it's all about the entertainment world. Roberto Peroni. Weekdays from three. On BBC Three Counties Radio. We've not been talking about uh, Lee Rigby and his killers this morning. I know JVS will be. The reason we didn't do it, I didn't do it, is because I didn't know, I didn't think there was anything to say. The two fellas have been sentenced, one to uh, life, one to 45 years. What is there to say? I don't particularly uh, feel that I want to do the bring back the death penalty 
debate because it, it, it's flawed. It would never work. It would never work. Well, what do you think? Turns out lots of you do want to have your say on this. Let me do a couple of these texts before I speak to uh, Stephen Watford. Uh, Mr Lee, all right-minded people think the murder of Mr Rigby is a revolting crime committed by cowardly men. Let them suffer the indignity of being locked away and forgotten. Janet. Ken in Redbourne. I'm against the death sentence. Normally, I'm against the death sentence. But on case if Lee Rigby's killers, I think it should apply. Well, uh, solely because I think there will remain a great danger to prison staff and other prisoners. Well, you can't say normally I'm against the death sentence, but uh, these two, they should be killed. Ian, please stop talking about those scum. After what they did, they do not deserve any publicity. Instead, let's talk about our admiration for those who serve in uniform, about all the things that make our society great, and how we'll never be beaten into submission by bullies who hate our way of life. Nothing could be a bigger insult to those two expletive deleted James and Milton Keynes. And Dad says, forget about them. Oh, yeah, that'll work. Nobody will want to talk about it, but cold, harsh truth is similar. Will happen to what these two did to Lee. Steve's in Watford. Steve, have I missed a trick by not talking about Lee Rigby this morning? Yeah, I think you definitely have, Ian. Um, To be honest, you're not often far from wrong. However, uh, you're clearly very, very wrong regarding the death penalty. Um, It could clearly be um, fair... um, and, it, and there's the complete, it could be done completely without any flaw, so I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. Why? Tell me, explain why. Um, it, it's very simple. Uh, you only uh, bring back the death penalty for people that are clearly guilty. Uh, if there's any doubt whatsoever, uh, yet no. You, you, you're, you're already, sta- you're already stating the flaw. You're already stating you, the flaw. Go on. No, no, I'm not, actually. If you have people who've seen and clearly witnessed like this, there's no doubt those two gentlemen, and I, I, I shouldn't use the word gentlemen, those two animals, clearly did it. There's no doubt in that. If a, a policeman is shot and DNA evidence and stuff, maybe that shouldn't be definitely because there is flaws in that. But there are certain instances where people are clearly guilty. If I walk into a crowded street and start shooting people and 20 completely independent witnesses see me, then I am guilty. There's no, there's no court in the, law, in the world that would find me not guilty. Yeah? So there is no flaw. The flaw is if you make the, the, the um, rules regarding it. Flawed. People have uh, people have been sentenced to death in the past, Steve, uh, who were innocent. And yes. I know what your I know what your comeback's going to be. So say it. Uh, that's right. My original statement: you can only bring back capital punishment for people who no. are clearly guilty. No. People Not have people guilty by some Steve. Part of people people have been found people have been found guilty. To the point where it's, it, 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 there's no doubt about this person being guilty. They've been killed only to find out later on they weren't guilty. Yes, like I originally said, you can only find people guilty mm. that are guilty. Not Steve's not listening. Guilty. Steve's not listening. No, I don't I know think, why you're not listening, Steve. Yeah, I think you don't understand the conversation. I think I've found a flaw in your argument. No, Steve, you, I'll, I'll try it again. Let me try it one more time and see if you can really listen this time, Steve. I'm listening. People... Uh, but but I know you're hearing, but act- actually taking the words I'm saying. People have been hanged who it was believed at the time were 100% guilty. They had 100% proof they were guilty. People have, have been hanged who have confessed to murders, OK? It was then found out they weren't guilty. 
Yes, you're right, and I've just told you, you need the law to be oh, so they are guilty. Not you think they're guilty, or they've Steve, said they're the guilty, law at the time was... The they are Steve, guilty. you're not listening. The law at the time was you could only hang them if they were guilty. There wasn't a law that said you could hang them if we think maybe they're a little bit guilty, but we're not sure. The law at the time was they could only be hanged if they were guilty. So how did those people slip through the net? They slipped through the net because the law isn't what, how it should be. I've just told you how the law should be. I think you're not listening, Ian. The law should be oh, if they Steve. are guilty. Steve, you're embarrassing yourself. Guilty, you're embarrassing yourself. Guilty. You're embarrassing yourself, You've mate. You've lost again, haven't you, Ian? No, not you in the... You losing an argument. Well, no, I, 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 I very rarely do, and I'm certainly not losing this one, Steve. Let me, let me put the point... You're not listening, let Ian. Me put... I've just told you. They have to be oh, guilty, Steve. not proven guilty. Be guilty. Steve, well, the, could well, you... OK, Steve, Steve, I'm, I've not even got to point two of my argument yet. L- clarify for me what you mean by being guilty as opposed to proven guilty. Clarify that. Maybe uh, I'm not getting that. OK. Yeah. Uh, if a certain amount of people have actually witnessed it... What's the number? ...completely independent... What's the number? ...from the crime... What's the number of the certain uh, amount of people? Well, that would have to be... That would have to nope. be decided. It's, it's your, sure it's your idea. Give me, give me a ballpark figure. Ten. Ten completely independent people. And we can trust all these ten people, can we? Sorry? We, we can trust all of these ten people, can we? Yes, I think you can. How do we... How? How do we trust these ten people? Because they have to be independent, like in the case of... This is a perfect example, the Lee Rigby case. How do we know these ten people... completely random. How do we they know these... Random people. How do we know these ten people are completely independent? Because it... You can work it out by the, the chances are. You can work it out by the chances. The so time, suddenly, suddenly we're dealing with probabilities again, and not cold hard one hundred percent facts. Well, they are facts, aren't they? If no, but you've just said you it, can work it out that the chances are. Got, that's that's a probability if got, factor. If you've got crystal clear, and I mean crystal clear, Steve, it doesn't exist, mate. That's the thing. It doesn't exist. <laughs> It does. It does in the case of Lee Rigby. That is a perfect example. Everyone knows they were guilty. Okay. They admitted they were guilty. They're not just saying it to be stupid. They okay. were guilty. Point, Everyone knows it. Point two. I, point two of, of my argument. Yep. You kill these fellas, they've won. They, they want to be martyrs. They wanted the police to kill yep. them. They wanted to die. So they've won. You want to give them what they want, do you? Yeah, to be honest, a, a dead martyr's fine by me, to be honest. It really wow. is. It, Someone it, that can inspire the youth of this, this corrupted uh, version of Islam, the corrupted version of Islam. You, you, you're OK to have uh, us execute two people that will inspire more young people to come and, and, and try and kill us and our servicemen. You're happy with that? I don't think it will inspire that many You're people. very, very naive, Steve, if you don't believe that. I don't believe so. Most people think they're total idiots. No, yeah, most people like us think they're idiots, but most, uh, but several people who are, uh, follow the corrupt version of Islam, several people who think that England is uh, the devil's country, several people who think that we oppress Muslims in various countries, will look up to them as heroes, and if we kill them, we'll look up to them as martyrs. You're happy for that to happen, eh? Yeah, like I said, I'm quite happy to have a lot of dead martyrs. Wow. Okay, Steve. Steve's happy to inspire the uh, potential terrorist in this country. Lynn, we've got thirty seconds. Lynn, what would you like to say? Good morning. Um, I don't believe in killing anybody. I don't think that's the way to go. I do, however, think that they should both not see the light of day again. Um, I like the way in America. I'm not very keen on America, but I do like the way when they say life. It actually means that, and they don't have a cushy time. Um, in American prisons, do they? It's quite brutal. Mm. Um, and not that I want to go down that route, but I think um, 
that would be a far better punishment. And also, I think there should be now total blanket, you know, on, on those idiots so we don't have to look at them, we don't have to see them in the press. I think we should be focusing more on our wonderful, wonderful um, armed services that we have in this country. I'm glad we managed to squeeze you in at the end. Thank you very much for keeping it so brief. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The A5 is partially blocked between Bletchley and Hockliffe after a bus has broken down just near the Flying Fox roundabout. Traffic much heavier than normal today on the A1M southbound between Junction 9 for Letchworth and 7 for Stevenage. The A40 is queuing towards London between the Denham roundabout and Gypsy Corner. But public transport has no reported problems. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Steve. Good effort, Steve. I'll give you... I'll give you six out of ten for that. Right, that's it. That's your lot. JVS is up next. Until tomorrow at six from me. Ta-ta. Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Thursday. It's nine o'clock. And on today's big phone-in... Are you satisfied with the sentence given to the men who killed Lee Rigby? Michael Adabalajo has been given life